Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. We have an album coming out on May 26th. Yeah, Teddy Bear Fresh. Teddy Bear Fresh. It's us and Currency and Smoke Dizza and Bun B and Sway and Angie and Just Blaze and Jazz Cartier and Michael Christmas and Tunji Ige and... Uh, and we're on there. Did I? Yeah, did I miss anybody? I don't think so. Uh, pre-sale is up right now on iTunes. Guys, we made this album for you, for our listeners of the podcast. Everybody who tunes in every week, you're really going to be surprised. You're really going to be satisfied. It's a dope project, and we started doing our press run this past week. We went to Hot 97 to see Nessa, and, and Nessa's a girl who we've met twice, always had like pleasant conversations, never like anything deep. You know, those those type of conversations that you have with people at, like, clubs or whatever. Yeah, where she's you're like, saying hi and saying, like, how are you? And knowing that, like, I've seen you in a friend's Instagram and you've seen me in that same friend's Instagram but never at the same time. Right. Like, she doesn't know our last names. We don't know her last name. Like, she probably can't tell us apart. You know, like, that, that sort of relationship. So we end up going to this interview and it's a good conversation. 45-minute uh, conversation, really good questions. Uh, I don't think the video's out yet, but it should be soon. Uh, on Hot97.com. So at the end of the interview, Nessa runs over to the other studio, and her assistant says to us, have you met Colin? And we're like, who is Colin? And he's like, oh, that's Nessa's boyfriend. So, uh, you know... We I, meet lots of people. Yeah, I, may, Maybe we met him. I, I said, yeah, yeah, we met him. And then I was like, no, we haven't met... I, I don't know. I don't know who she's dating. No, maybe. Maybe we have. And we walk into the studio. And first of all, there's a white kid in the like uh, yeah. green room or yeah, something. Yeah, sitting with like a, a, a jacket and he looks familiar. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah we met him. There's, sure. there's Colin. Yeah. Colin is on the bench. There he is. Yeah. Hey, hey, Colin. And then the assistant keeps walking us into the studio. And we're like, oh, no, no, no that's not Colin. In fact, this other guy in front of us now is Colin. And yeah. that is Colin Kaepernick, the, and- uh, the, the football player. Who uh, is dating Nessa? And, and we had, we're like, we oh, had no idea. Well, that makes <laughs> no. We've never met him. That, yeah, he's a very memorable Colin. And uh, truth be told, Nessa is there bragging on our new project, and she's like, "I'm so excited about the guys, and they're doing this great press run, and they have an amazing project, and I'm so happy for them, and they're working so hard. You know how hard it is for them to do everything: the PR, the marketing, the A and R, the, the you know, the product managing." So Nessa says all this, right? And Eric and I are standing there, like, sort of nodding our heads, but also thinking about the fact that Colin Kaepernick has also faced some difficulties <laughs> in right. his career That's and right. life. Namely, I don't know, facing racism from half of the country for taking a knee. So where do we connect with this guy? And by the way, he couldn't have been any nicer. He is so nice. So nice. Smiling the whole time. He's he's so happy for our success. And we did not know. How do we at all connect with him? <laughs> because... <laughs> You you have done you know amazing things in the face of true evil. We, uh, you know, are trying. We to... we threw an early retirement party for Lloyd Banks. I mean, like, yeah. what what could we possibly talk to Colin Kaepernick about? It was so... just like it was so crazy. We walked out of there, and and Jeff was like, "Did you know they were dating?" I said, "I had no idea." He says, "Does anyone know they're dating?" And then you pulled up her Instagram, and it's like it's all pictures of <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> It's, like, oh. it's very obvious. Yep. So um, anyway, now we're following Nessa. So and, there was that. And shouts to but Colin Kaepernick. We had another weird run in this week. Do you remember what it was? I do. We, you can't forget this. We were walking over to go see DJ Green Lantern perform uh, downtown on the Lower East Side. Yeah, the privilege opening. Uh, shout out to Adriel Ortiz. Shout out to everybody who was in town. A lot, lot of people uh, in the building that night. But before we even got there, shout out to uh, Amir Abbasi, Blame the Label. Um, but before we even got there, we're, we're walking down the street, 
And we didn't say anything to each other, but we both saw this sedan. It was like a silver four-door. Three of the doors open, and these three dudes get out of this car. At the same time. They all looked like... Do you remember when Earl, the the rapper, dressed up like Joe Budden, and he had like the um, the bald cap over his head? Everybody was five foot one, maybe. maybe five foot one tops. It looked like aliens. They all looked like 14-year-olds who had seen like a thousand years. And they were wearing giant suits. Yeah, all matching giant suits. All of them had matching mustaches. And all of them were bald. And they all looked like they were on a million drugs because they were all leaning over like a V8 commercial. Yeah, like slumped over. Like they had just like been in a car accident was, and they were just like walking out for the first time. It was time. so crazy. It was so, they did so not, crazy. They did not go to the Green Lantern event, by the way, as far as I saw. But I don't know where they went. I don't know where they were, where they were coming from. It was bizarre. It was like they had just beamed down (laughs) from another planet. Shout out to those guys. Shout out to those guys. The biggest problem with that is that no one else was there to see this. That was the biggest problem. Right. It's almost like we were on drugs and then... Maybe we were those guys. Maybe we were the ones in the suits with the bald caps looking like uh, mini Steve Harveys, but also old Steve Harveys who are also young. Don't know. Don't know. Anyway, today on the podcast, we have our friend Dallas Martin, who is an A&R for MMG. And listen, if you're looking for stories about Rick Ross, about the making of every Meek Mill project, every Wale project, the Omarion song, like you want stories about 2 Chains and Future and Janae Aiko, I mean, you want a lot of recent history from somebody who is actually there... That's what you're going to get. This is a guy who, you know, made it from Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. We didn't even talk about the water, by the way, did we? No, we didn't. But uh, shout out to everybody up there who's somehow making it through. And uh, fuck you to all the uh, people in government who can't get them clean water. I mean, that's just unbelievable. But this is a guy who made it out of Flint, Michigan, who dealt with a lot of loss, uh, which we get into. Um, A lot of non-believers. It's a great episode. Shout out to... To Dallas Martin, and shout out to um, to everybody who was who was making sure that this would happen. Yeah, uh, so that's and, uh, that's what like Ron Stu. You're Ron Stu. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of people wanted to make sure this happened. We're glad it happened. Great interview. One more thing. Yeah, which is May 26th, our debut album Teddy Bear Fresh comes out on all the streaming services, but it's on iTunes as well. Let's put up some good numbers. Let's put up some great numbers. Let's surprise everyone. Go hit that pre-sale button. It's only $8.99 on iTunes right now. Teddy Bear Fresh. Spread the word. Guys, this is the album for you. Jeff, anything else? Uh, Nope, that's it. When do you want to get into this podcast? Right now. Yo, what up? Eric, a.k.a. Cat in the Hat, a.k.a. Poppin' Them Thang. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. All My Friends Are Dead, a.k.a. Last of the Mohicans. And what's good? It's Dallas. Atlantic Records in the building representing. Yeah, so and this is a waste of time. This <laughs> Actually, literally, we're in the building. We're we are in the building. In Atlantic Records right now. Yeah, we are avoiding construction on our Upper West Side apartment. That's right. So yeah, so shouts to the drills, Dallas. We we normally don't even leave our apartments. We came here for you because we really wanted to make this podcast happen. It's a long time in the making. I'm excited, man. I feel honored. You know what I'm saying? And I've been waiting to talk to you guys, big fans. Uh, thank you very much. First of all. You know, we speak to a lot of people, obviously from New York, 
We yes. speak to a lot of people from Atlanta. Um, we don't usually speak to a lot of people from Flint, Michigan. I know, right? So I guess that's definitely been like one of the things that I had to battle coming up in the music industry because, you know, New Yorkers are super serious about New Yorkers and, you know, the fabric and the authenticity of the game and just people being from out here, you know, being part of it. So I'm glad they opened the doors and finally let me in. But it definitely <laughs> took a lot of work. Well, what? So, like, what do you grow up listening to in Flint, Michigan? What is the music of choice up there? <clears throat> See, that's what the dope shit was about um michigan you know what i'm saying we we had people that love the east coast so i grew up heavy on biggie you yeah. know what i'm saying and a lot of people love Pac, and a lot of people love the midwest stuff you know what i'm saying so from bone thugs, Cru- bone thugs yeah. twister crucial conflict yeah. just like a taste of everything so and then i went to school in atlanta yeah then i got a, a chance to really understand the culture and really fall in love with the music from the south well what did what did your folks do up there really like my parents were together until like i was in um junior high so they split so my dad was just doing you know jumping from job to job and my mom worked retail Mm -hmm. um so you know it was really definitely like a humble beginning you know i'm saying to my life and you know just hard working parents blue collar just you know normal this is this is past that like michael moore time yeah it's, 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 it's definitely past that time but it was like still you know they were um you know the city was really known for um a lot of the um you know plants the auto plants and yeah. stuff and they were shipping them all down south or into like mexico and stuff so a lot of people were definitely losing their jobs so it definitely was like a lot of crime that yeah. was starting in, in the city when i was coming up you know but um you know a lot of people this the city had a lot of basketball basketball was really big we had a lot of players coming out the city that you know and pro and stuff so you know it was still a chance to see success but only on the sports level what kind of cars did your parents drive yo so this me and my dad my dad just came to visit me in la because i just got a new car you know what i'm saying we were talking about it so my dad had a caprice right the whole right side was dented yo like you couldn't <laughs> even get in on the right side of the car so yeah but when you look at it from the other side though yeah <laughs> when you look at from the other side they're like oh okay and you see the other side i like asked my dad i was like dad how much did you buy that car for he said 350 dollars yeah. i was rolling <laughs> so like he would drop me off at school I would make him drop me like a block down the street you know what i'm saying so everybody would see me someone get made fun of and stuff so it definitely was like you know a funny beginning do you, know you still buy american-made cars like are you strictly like a chevrolet or ford or Dodge? i mean i i used to love chevrolets you know when i was coming up like impalas were like the thing yeah. you know what i'm saying but now you know now you're uh, more like a malibu guy more like yeah kind of <laughs> like a malibu benz type thing <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you were getting ready to to gra- to graduate high school was there a thought that you were just going to stay in state? No, so that was that was that's a great question. So I knew if I stayed in state to go to school because basically um, when you're in state, you have the opportunity to go to Michigan State. They all basically just make everybody from Michigan go to Michigan State. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you could get in-state tuition, yeah. which you only have to pay like $2,500 a year that's to go to college yeah. for in-state um, residents. But I knew if I stayed in Michigan, there was no chance that I would be able to break into the music game, which I was really passionate about. No, I knew what I wanted to do in high school. Well, how'd you know? Because I was a big fan of music. I would listen to music. This like when Napster stopped popping. Yeah. So, like, you know... Um, in Michigan, you don't have money to go buy CDs every day. Right. So this is my first opportunity to get to listen to everything, even though it was, you know, downloading illegally now. You know what I'm saying? It was a chance for me to hear everything early and efficiently. So I would just be literally, when I get home from school, listening to music from like 3 p.m. to 3 a.m., my mom be like, go to fuck to sleep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm listening to everything. So right then and there, I was like, yo, I want to get into this, but I can't sing, rap, dance, nothing. 
So then this is like when the Rockefeller murder Inc. and all this stuff was going on. So I'm like, well, who's this guy? Or like, or who's Puff? Like, what do they do? They don't do music. Or dang, what does he do? So I started studying, and I was like, yo, I want to be like them. They're behind the scenes, and I started learning what A and R was before anybody could teach me. Well, where did you learn that? Like, were you reading like Double uh, XL or like watching or? the movies? Mm-hmm. Um, buying books you know what i'm saying so it just like backstage backstage and, yeah. was like a big pivotal part in my life you know did backstage you feel was huge for me did you feel really isolated up there definitely it's not new york and it's not la yeah definitely like you're in high school you're in senior you're telling people i'm about to move to atlanta and do music and i'm gonna be in the, and they're like yo shut up boy <laughs> go to michigan state and you're gonna do whatever you do but it definitely was like I was definitely an outsider with my way of thinking. Right. Um, so were your a, friends also like rap nerds? No. All my friends were um, athletes. They all play basketball. All my friends play basketball. If did you, you play basketball? I did. Then I realized I wasn't going to be good enough to go to the <laughs> NBA by the time I was a junior because they was way better than me. I said, you know what? If I ain't better than them now, it's not like I'm about to start being better than them. So I need to figure no, out I a different life purpose. Everybody gets better late in life. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> it's the two chains effect. <laughs> Real shit. So uh, where'd you apply in Atlanta? Clark Atlanta. Strictly. Well, that's the only one place that really accepted me because oh. I got bad grades <laughs> in high school. They accept anybody. They just want your checks. So right, I was right, like, right. great. I'm going down there. We'll talk about some people who went to Clark Atlanta. Um, Don Cannon, yep. Shaka Zulu, mm-hmm. um, who else? DJ Drama. Yep. Um, Scotty Beam. Scotty Beam. Yep. Um, Damian Lemon went there, right? Damian Lemon. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lot of people, man, that yeah. went to Clark. But And I knew if I got to Atlanta and just been able to set up, that I would I would make it. I just knew that in my heart. Did you know anyone else who was making that trip? So so that's a funny story too. So my parents were against me going there because they didn't want to pay it. Are but you an only child? Do you have any? I have one little brother. Okay. So they were like, "Yo, we're not supporting this, whatever, whatever." And I'm like, "Well, I'm going." They were like, "Well, we're not paying for it. We don't have the money." So I'm gonna figure it out. You know, I, I was figured. I was like, "I'm gonna go out there two weeks before um, registration starts to try to figure it out." So I had a friend that actually. She went to Clark Atlanta. She was from Flint, too. She went there before she connected me with a few friends out there. Hmm. The friends were Don Cannon. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, unreal. And uh, when he was working with the artist, they had an artist at the time. It was a lot of Dark Man's little brother. Um, what was his name? Um, damn, I forgot his name. But anyways, they all stayed, like, in the same dorm. Yeah. So she introduced me to them. So basically, I went out there. She introduced I had a few connections. So I went out there two weeks early. And I went to the registration every day, and they were just helping me figure out how to get loans to get in school. But, like, to get out there, it was a girl that was going to Spelman. I asked her family. I'm like, yo, can I take my, my crate and just can y'all, like, let me ride down to Atlanta with y'all? And they were like, your parents cool with it? I was like, yeah, kind of. And they just <laughs> let me they let me ride down to Atlanta with them, and they just let me. I stayed with her for You made that drive. I made the drive with them. Yeah. They let me stay with um, my friend that was from there for, like, she said, you got two weeks to figure it out or you got to go back. Holy shit. And um, I How just would went, you have gotten back? Walking, like, you got, like, I would have been on Greyhound. I would have yeah. been on Greyhound, sad as shit. But I, I was determined not to fail, so I just went out there and I went to the registration and they helped me figure out to take out loans under you know my name, and I got the loans and I was short twenty five hundred dollars. That was the twenty five you needed to stay on campus for like in room like um boarding, mm-hmm. and I called the only rich person in my family that I never talked to. 
And I said, listen, I know I don't talk to you that much. You know, I love you, but I, I'm calling. I need 25. I want to go to college. I'm trying to do something. And she said, let me think about it. She called me the next morning, like, I'm going to send you the money. That's amazing. And wow. that's how I got into Clark Atlanta. Yo, do you guys talk her. more? Oh, we talk all the time. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. My, <laughs> she's my favorite auntie now, for sure. And I, and I paid her back. Yeah. So it was definitely it was definitely worth it. So you get down there. Do you have an idea of what you want to major in? Is there something <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I knew. So I knew I wanted to be in music, but I knew everybody in music had a business spirit so I, I wanted to be in marketing mm-hmm. so I, I studied business marketing at mm-hmm. Clark Atlanta did you have a job down there too so the great thing about um what I started doing in Flint when I realized I couldn't play basketball no more I started throwing like little high school parties so I would do a party like once a month um and charge everybody um ten dollars what was the name of it um, we had different names. Mm-hmm. Like it would just be like uh, corporate hoes and CEOs. <laughs> yeah, 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 like it'd be like some of the most random. Like whatever was like the hot song or movie would yeah, be yeah. the name of the party. And in Flint, you only only way your party would pop, you had to get this DJ called DJ Scribble. He lived in Lansing for some reason. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved him, so he came to Flint. If you got him, paid him two fifty. Your party was gonna be lit. So I made Dow's a deal. throwing parties like, dude, where's yeah. my party? <laughs> Yo. So I basically threw the parties, and I got like really good at promoting. So when I got to college, um, I formed my crew. And we start throwing parties, and uh, we did them at like little restaurant, you know, eighteen and you know up parties yeah. and shit. Mm-hmm. Denny's, um, yeah, yeah, Waffle House, yeah, just <laughs> random, just like random places, and um, it just grew and grew, and that's how like I was determined to build my brand while I was trying to figure out how to break into music. And did you stay in touch with Don Cannon and meet? Drama Me, Drama, Cannon, we're all, we've are all we been friends since then. Shaka Zulu's yeah. a mentor of mine, I feel like, at this point. And, you know, I, everybody from Clark that really does music, I feel like we stick together pretty, well, pretty Also, tough. all those colleges are together. How do you find out, like, what Atlanta as a city is like? Well, I mean, you know, this is, like, just a good time for music and just, like, you know, the city is vibrant, you know, nightlife. And as you, like, become a promoter, you start throwing parties, you meet the real promoters. So you get <laughs> access to the big clubs, and they let you in. They let you, like, not be in a section, but, like, yo, go play the bar or just stay out of people's way, you yeah. know, kind of thing. And, you know, I just won the affection of a lot of people out there that really just believed in me, and I just got a lot of social currency being broke out there. <laughs> Did you ever run into <laughs> Scooter Braun down there? Yes. Um, Scooter, so... Um, my well, I could talk about that later, but Shakira mm-hmm. Stewart is the person who brought me into the game. Yep. Rest in peace, Shakira Stewart. Shout yeah. out. Um, and Scooter used to go visit him a lot hmm. and have meetings with him. And I would see Scooter all the time coming mm-hmm. to see Shakira. You know? Yeah. How different is Atlanta from Flint? Man, Flint has nothing major going on. No major sports teams. No like major driver to make money. Um, it's a very small, um, locked in city. Um, it was like probably like four major high schools. Um, I, I want to say I really don't know the population. Might have been like the population might have been like a hundred thousand hmm. um, when I was there. Um, hmm. But you know, it, it was definitely um, a city when I was coming up. They had a lot of kids that had like a little lot of style. So hmm. it was it was like a lot of vibrant ki- vibrant ki- kids at the time um, that didn't know what they wanted to do. And Who was running the city in Atlanta? Was that like Lil John <clears throat> at the time? Yeah. Um, man, I got there two thousand two. Trap or die drop. Yeah. Wow. So Jeezy was. Did yeah. you ever see him at like strip clubs? Um, I seen Jeezy everywhere. He used to be on. <laughs> by the way, all the rappers played the campus. Mace was going to school at Clark at the time. Yeah. I think everything like it was rapper heaven at Clark. <laughs> you and they was trying to get all the bad chicks. Like, it yo, was who crazy. plays Homecoming during those years? Man, shit, Pastor Troy. Yeah. Um, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> um, we had a whole. It was just random people who was hot. Chingy. 
Oh my god! You know, Ludacris was on fire yep. in two thousand two. I twenty, I twenty, all them man. It, it was crazy. It was just a great city. You had Ti, you had Luda, you had Jeezy. It was like the city was just crazy with the people. Yeah, what artist did you really like attach to at that point? You're like, yo, this guy's gonna be like. Ti was my favorite. I listened to Ti in high school. I used to play his music in high school. Um, I'm serious, and people was like, "What the fuck are you listening to?" Because his um his um accent was so different from what we were used to. Because when you're from Flint, you don't meet people from different cities on a regular. So when you hear a different accent, you you like, "What is that?" <laughs> so it's like people don't travel from Michigan. Yeah, the furthest they might go is Chicago. It's a five hour drive. That's like the that's doing it big. Yeah, yeah right. Major when you yeah, go to yeah. Chicago. But when you live in Flint, you don't travel. You don't take vacations. <laughs> it's not like yo, I just got back from the Bahamas with the fam. It's none of that. Yo, so what's you, what's some real Flint like? language like what's a what's a word or like phrase that's real flint um what up though yeah they detroit you know what i'm saying what up though that's that's our thing how how far were you from detroit an hour yeah so you know people definitely i have family in detroit so i would be back and forth a lot and detroit was like you know the biggest thing you go to lions and pistons game and that was Mm -hmm. your touch of like seeing some real success coney dogs yeah yeah. some nice cars or something because you don't see no nice cars in flint like yeah did you care about uh eminem um, my little brother did. So, I remember my little brother bought his album. Eminem came out with another rapper that year. I forgot who it was. It was like the same week. It was like a good rapper, and my brother bought Eminem and stuff. I'm like, yo, what is this? <laughs> then my brother used to play it so much. I was like, this dude is really rapping. Like, what is going on? He like, I told you. I told. And my brother's not a hip hop head, but he is on the low, you know. Right, right. So. My little brother put me on Eminem early, the first album, Slim Shady, and he used to play it so much, I wanted to Were strangle you just him. Like, yo, whoa, that's, that's very Eminem lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Were you like, yo, like, I think my brother has problems? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yo, you got something you want to talk to me about, bro? <laughs> so so down at school, you're a marketing major. Uh, who was your roommate? Um, I had a random um roommate from LA. He was like a ex crip <laughs> something. Yeah. It was like some random stuff. So uh, did you, I did remember you... saying because we say cousin Flint. Yeah, like what up, cuz? He was like, yo, I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you talking about. Like, like, like he like from a real banging culture. So I'm like, all right, bro. he threw out all the red in your closet. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't go to Braves games. <laughs> we went. We went to LA one time, and uh, we were gonna do some work with Nipsey, and we got a rental car that they gave us that was in red and we're like what the hell are we gonna do yeah. we have to like park it and like uber over like yeah <laughs> like we're hitting nah. the crenshaw yeah nipsey's super cool they don't care. nipsey will wear all red one day he, but he's super but he's nipsey like, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's so it's funny. not him you have to worry about. i went i went to one of nipsey's parties with one of my homeboys and stuff and it was like a party it was like his party and stuff and i'm cool with nipsey and i went to a section say what up and i didn't realize my friend was wearing red from head to, he was from flint he was uh. like coming to la to visit and i had no one think and i walked to nipsey's section with him you know this show love he just kind of looked and all his boys was straight oh. on one about to yeah. go and i looked like what's wrong i saw my boy i like yo yo go over there i'm talking about he had red shoes and a hat i said go over there at the bar you about yo, to get your friend around. also thought like i'm killing it tonight yeah, like, yeah. Just, like, oh he did i think matchy, he, left. he was like oh you know from flint you know he like yo i'm doing it tonight i'm like bro that's that flint you know, style they almost got us murk <laughs> so did you did you have a music internship or anything down there like yo how did you- so Man, I was striking out for four years straight, bro. 
Like who, to the point. Who let you down? Man. Yeah, talk about it. <laughs> DJ Sense, my bro from the affiliates. You know, because drama and canon start blowing up. Yeah. So, you know, we were friends, but not that they were, you know, fire. And I was still like little, so they weren't, They you know, I, they, I would get them on the phone here and there. But they was like, this is after a motherfucker. Cannon had the Lil Wayne Cannon song. Aww. He was on fire. Cannon was on fire. And drama was just out of here. So Sense was the one that I could really be able to get a hold of. And Sense was just like having, just running me around in circles trying to get the meaning. <laughs> And stuff. Shout out DJ Sins. We talk about that all the time and laugh about it. Um, I tried to get in that Grand Hustle, mm-hmm. but I never, not like TI, I knew, but I couldn't get in CTE, even Did though uh, they love me over there. Yeah. But, you know, they just ran a different type <laughs> ship over there. What do you wear to a job interview? <laughs> I mean, all red. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, man. I, I was. I, I would try to stay in the middle, like a like a button up shirt and some jeans. Yeah. And just keep it like. Did you Did cool. you understand that like part of that was to run around and get coffee and like do everything that they didn't want to do? I was willing to do whatever it took to like accomplish my goal and my dream, man. So who gave you your first opportunity? So I was throwing parties my senior year and it was this girl she was like a freshman at clark atlanta and she was like the baddest freshman you know what i'm saying and um she was like yo i want to come to your parties i heard you throw the dope party by then i was throwing like the biggest parties on um like the auc so she's like i want to come to your parties and stuff so i started picking her and her girls up before we go party let them come because it was 18 and up mm-hmm. and um we would all be hanging out and um we we developed a friendship and she'd start asking me questions like oh you always listen to different music and i was like managing producers on my campus she's like why you listen the beats i'm like i'm just trying to you know get a placement for my artist i mean my producer and stuff like that and she was like oh won't you just go meet my uncle i'm like who's your uncle she's like shakir stewart yo <laughs> i'm like for real she's like yeah she's like i'll take you to meet on friday so i'm thinking she's bluffing you know what i'm saying <laughs> friday came she was like you ready to go i'm like yeah she took me straight to shakira's office and he sat down with me we talked for an hour and he offered me an internship on the spot crazy wow. Shout out to Nazila. She always says I don't be giving her enough credit. She says she changed my life, and every time I see her, she says she need that she bag. She did. She she, she and deserves your aunt. the bag. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she got me, in. and she told me too. She her story too was like out of you and one other person. I decided you the last day because she she was telling he was telling her to bring me somebody from college because he went to Morehouse. Yeah, from mm-hmm. AUC. Yep. that I could train because yeah. I'm looking for interns. And she was like, I was gonna pick one up, but I decided you last. I'm like, damn, thank you. So you know, what did so. you know about Shake? Um, I just knew at the time that um, he signed Jeezy. Yeah. And um, that he was really in with L.A. Reid, and he was, like, a big part of what was going on in the Atlanta music scene at the time. So you go in there, and you're an intern, and what does he have you do? So he had, like, eight boxes of demos. And this one, CDs, is still, like, the thing. So he was like, listen, man, I need you to listen to all these demos. And he's back and forth in New York, and I had to, like, log everything in, write feedback and, like, all this stuff. And he was like, when I get back, I need you to play me the hottest stuff from these boxes. So it started off like that. So I used to do that every day. So I'd be in there from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. listening to demos. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, okay, yeah. There's this idea, and I think anybody who um, who watched like Fade to Black understand that maybe artists or producers or engineers or A and Rs will listen to ten seconds, fifteen seconds of a song. Was that you? I was too nervous to do that, so I would listen to like 
everything. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to miss nothing, and I didn't know if it was a setup. Like, he put a gym in there, and if I missed it, he was like, you're gone. Like, so I used to listen to everything, man. Like What a high-pressure situation. Yeah, it's just like, you so nervous. You're like, yeah. this is my I'm like listening to every song from top to bottom. Even like, if I, it was terrible. Man, listen. I ain't <laughs> Especially listen. if it was terrible. I bet that 90% uh, yeah. of it was not yeah. good. Oh, my God. 98.9 was horrible. <laughs> you know, you just know off rip, but you just do it because it's like, I don't want to fuck up. Is this all Atlanta-based artists? It's just, you know, people mail everything in so it could be from any anywhere did you find any gems um no i did not <laughs> i did not find any gems man and um you know after i finally listened to i'm talking about it might have took me like six months to listen to all these fucking demos <laughs> oh my god and um after that i upgraded to being able to go into meetings with him and observe him do meetings then um uh, you know like we got super cool then he started training my ear and like just teaching me the ropes and you know because he saw i was serious yeah so now he started taking me so- more serious and training me who was more serious you or ti ti <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> T.I. <laughs> so what's, what's the first uh studio session he brings you to um well I, i'm mostly though honestly because he used to be back and forth in new york his thing was like training me on the business side mm-hmm. and he had a studio downstairs so it would be people that come in and um ross recorded his first two albums at hitco in atlanta and i would just sneak in there and until ro- he kicks me out <laughs> and ross kicked me out every day for like three months what would he say to you Get out. <laughs> it wasn't like, a, what you doing in here? Get out. And Gucci Wooch, like, come on, bro. You, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And until like one day, man, um, I just like would do anything. Like, he was like, I, I remember saying, I need a vibe, man. I need some chicks. And I'm a promoter. <laughs> I might have called 10 things yeah, yeah, to the joint. Yeah. He's like, what is going on out here? He walked outside. I'm like, I don't even just chilling. And he's like, yo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's like, who's this kid? Then I told him what I did out those parties, man. And uh, I remember asking, like, Ross, why don't you host my party? Because this, by this time, I'm doing, like, the bigger scale parties like, mm-hmm. as the, like, lower promoter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, like, I was, he was like, how much? I might have said, like, um, 2500 <laughs> And he just walked away. Like, he didn't even say nothing. He just looked at me like, boy, you crazy. And the funniest shit is he came to the party. Really? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't like, I didn't promote him or nothing. But yeah. he came to check me out. He pulled up, made back. They like, Rick Ross out here. And Poochie was like, go get Dallas. And they, the promoters went and got me and he, they let me walk him Holy in and shit. stuff. Set him up at a table. He was that's, super cool about it. And like, that's awesome. And he was like, yo, your party, you know, Ross, <laughs> you know, I like this beachy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that was dope. That's awesome. Was that like the best feeling for you? Yeah, because it's like, you know, when you're a promoter, you bring the celebrity. It's yeah. like, you the man. So I was like, yeah, I got Ross. This is my damn hustling Ross. So you're like, oh, man, you got Rick Ross here from Miami? Like, oh, my God. So all the bigger promoters like, damn, how you pull that off? Like, you know. Wait, do you have to run and tell the, uh, the DJ, like, yo, Ross is coming in? Yeah, you in do all that. Yeah. Oh, you go crazy. Yeah. You running around. You got the chicks like, yeah, I got Ross. What you yeah. Do? You yeah. scrambling. You just feeling oh good. My God. Yeah. <laughs> what were the business aspects that you really picked up on? On from Shakir, um, man, Shakir was very, very good at um, his relationships. Relationships really important to him. Making sure he was good on following up with people and making sure that everybody knew that he cared. And um, you know, for that's man- artists and artists, mm-hmm. managers, lawyers, everybody, people in the street, the street niggas, the dope boys. 
because, you know, this is BMF era, so he had relationships with everybody, so he was just super just locked in with the city. He was New York. He was he was moving and shaking, and he was just incredible, like, person to learn from because he was, like, the cool executive, but he still was working hard as fuck. He mm-hmm. might be in the club to, like, 2, 3 a.m. and still at the office at 10 a.m., you know what I'm saying, working hard. So he was definitely a dope person to learn from. And there's a lot of people out there who don't understand that <clears throat> part of the job is being in the clubs until 2 or 3 a.m. and like shout out my girl you hear this <laughs> <laughs> so so when you're out of the clubs like what what records really surprised you when you were like in the in the clubs down in Atlanta like that, that the little john explosion was in like where is what is going on <laughs> like crunk music was like what the fuck is going on and just to see like bi bi yeah. like when that came i was like yo who is this dude this yeah. is crazy for someone's like Somebody that doesn't really rap and make hits all day. That was crazy. Like, he was killing. When do you actually formally get offered a job? So, that's a good question. So, I interned for two years for free. Uh, We only do good questions around (laughs) here. Yeah. And um, it was to the point where it was like, man, my mom was like, yo, he's not going to offer you a job. All my friends were like, yo, you're going to intern for free forever. Isn't that funny when the people who aren't in the music industry are telling me what's going on in the music industry? And, um, yeah, just check Twitter. <laughs> and Shakira was like super busy, man. Like he was kept getting promoted, man. He signed Ross, and he was like A and R and Janet Jackson album. I got to meet Janet one day. I fanned out. Whoa. Um, so not Big Sam, just Janet, but just Jackson, Janet. Man. All right, just Janet. And um, what was that like? It was. I mean, it was brief. It was just like we were at JD's studio. Was, did, she say, yeah. did she and, tell you um, to get out? <laughs> I wasn't in the studio. I was in the like the walkway right to the studio. She just said hi. I'm like hi, and she said Shakir, come here. I need to talk to you. Like her voice was real low. Yeah, I'm like yeah. oh my god, it's Janet Jackson. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You know what I'm saying? And I just freaked out. Um, but yeah, that that was that was crazy. So he had a group um, that he signed. And he was, like, kind of busy, too busy to, like, A&R and pay. So he was like, listen, I signed this group from L.A. for for Brothers. The group name was Brother. And he got them, like, a reality TV show, all this stuff. So he said, listen, <clears throat> if you deliver a single, I'm going to give you a, a job. <clears throat> this is what he says to you? Yeah. He was like, but if you don't deliver, then, you know, this is not going to happen. I mean, I'm with these guys every day today with my brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we, like, in the studio, and, you know, the guys were kind of, like, you know, they were they were R&B, like, kind of chilling. Like, I ain't going to say they weren't the coolest guys, okay. but I'm not going to disrespect yeah. them. But, you know, um, you know, I tried my best to, like, really just, you know, getting good with them. So finally, man, after, like, two or three months of just working with them, I'm talking about after, like, 30 records, man, I finally came up on the on record. Black Elvis produced it. And he was like one of the him drummer boy. They were like some of the earlier producers that championed me and really like gave me good records as an intern. Um, so he gave me the record and ended up being a single. And Shakira gave me a consulting position with him. Crazy at Def Jam, and it was like the best day of my life. And that was it was like he just got promoted to EVP after Jay Z left. Yeah. And he gave me a job, and I was like, oh, this is dope. So where are we in the in the time frame here? This is this is two thousand and eight. And so you're out of college. Out of college. And uh, still based in Atlanta? Based in Atlanta. Shakir saw, I was with Shakir, so three months after that, Shakir committed suicide. Right. So that was October 1st, 2008. And it was like probably like a month and a half process of just everybody just like really just like, what the fuck? And, you know, just. Where were you? Going through the stages. I was, I went. I was at when I found out the news. I was in Flint registering to vote because I was going to vote for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, and I could only go because I only had a Michigan ID. So I had to fly home, and I found out when I was home with my with my parents. And now he is your mentor. He's your a father figure because he's the only successful black person I know at the time. That's like really you know yeah. successful. Have his family. He just got everything like you would want as a young black man. Like he had it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he definitely was like everything. Just a mentor, father figure, everything. And it was just like a big loss for me. It was like very devastating. And well, how did you? think that you would go forward i really didn't know what the future held for me man and it was like i didn't want to be too selfish and greedy just thinking about that at the time so more so just mourning just making sure everybody around them was cool and you know just us just sticking together just you know holding each other down and um la reed in november at the end of november because you know he he was definitely really fucked up by this because it was like his son so at the end of November, I think after Thanksgiving, it might have been like the first week of December, he called me up to New York. He gave me an interview, and I, I did good in the interview. And he said, um, I want you to come to the A&R meeting. And I came to an A&R meeting in December, and I had four, like, gems, like, shit that I know. Like, like I knew I had to play some shit. Yeah. And he was, like, the best records <laughs> I ever got in my life. Like, as far as, like, I, I went and, like, searched the city, like, to get these records. You know what I'm saying? And it was, like, a record from, like, Esther Dean before she popped wow. with Hit Boy. Yeah. Hit Boy and Chasing Cash was, like, my bros because they were working under Polo in Atlanta. Yeah. So what they, what were, they call it? Surf, <laughs> surf School? Surf Club. Surf, surf Club. Club. Yeah, yeah. So they were just lacing me. He, Drummer Boy, lacing me with Hit and um like all these people man and um i went in there and like i killed the a&r meeting and that night karen kwok called me like la want to hire you what you what you thinking you want to make and we just discussed like whatever you know our terms was and i was in the def jam building well who were the other a&rs in def jam at that point man do you understand like as it was like a rookie playing for the Lakers, <laughs> the Yankees. Like I go in there, and you got trick that um, tricky and dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. DJ Khaled. Oh my God, Lenny S. Yeah, Boo. Oh my God, man, who else is there? Uh, you got Angelo Sanders. Man, it was like lace with like. <laughs> so and you're sitting there in the A&R meeting. You got Ka- like imagine playing music after Khaled <laughs> in an A&R meeting your first year. <laughs> And Khaled is Khaled. Yeah. yeah. So you're going in there like, you don't even want to play. They like, when the they like, who wants to ask Nick? I'm like, yo, <laughs> I'm trying to stretch something. Like, Khaled just played like 10 hits in a row. Get me out of here. Did you really try and match his enthusiasm? No, you can't match no Khaled enthusiasm, man. You just got to go over there humble, man, for real. What's the best thing that Khaled said in a meeting? He... What you mean? Like, Khaled says a million best things in one meeting. Like, you know what I'm saying? He made everybody put their hands up in the meeting. He like, LA, I'm about to change your life with it. Like, Khaled's like, the greatest. You know that. We, when um, it comes to the talk. Eric and I were sitting in um, in Sav's office one time. Yeah. When he was working at Def Jam. Yeah. yeah. And Khaled comes in. And he goes. And, and Sav had, like, lost, like, a bunch of weight or whatever. And so uh, Khaled goes over to me and says, yo, where do I get one of those slim fitting T-shirts? <laughs> Just like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Def Jam has this this legacy. They have this huge roster of artists. Yes. And all these A&Rs Crazy. have all the biggest artists. Crazy. Who did they assign you? Joel Santana. Ooh. Oh, man. 
And, you know, me being young, I'm green. I'm like, yeah, I love you. <laughs> Joel's, you crazy. Of course, they not telling me Joel's ain't turned in the album in four years for them and they can't get him on the phone and all this stuff. So I'm like, yeah, cool. Joel's, let's do it. So, like, Karen's like, I'm a co-A&R with you. So halfway through, she like, oh, it was just you. Like, you, I wasn't co. It was, but, um, nah, you know what was so great, though, man? Um, Joel's what? let me in. Like he let me like work with him, man. So like, you made yeah, that phone call and Chubby Baby. Yeah. Shout out to Chubby Baby in Atlanta who now is work works for Epic. Mm-hmm. He came from like the dipset cloth. You know what I'm saying? And he was really tight. And he saw me coming up. He moved to Atlanta and he saw me coming up and he made the call to Joel's. Like, I believe in the kid, he's dope. Let him come to the studio. And I met Joel's and his brother Twin. Yeah. And Twin was like the one that really kinda like embraced me in the beginning, like to kinda like, you know, really check my my stats or whatever. And he let me like work with Joel's. Um, well, what does that mean to work with Jewels when he's not turning in, like... So he had a studio. He was definitely going to the studio every day, but mm-hmm. it was more so It was that his own studio in Jersey, It was right? his own studio in Jersey, and um, Jewels was just, like, you know, it, me understanding the game now, he just was in a weird space. Like, so at the time, he wanted to really promote his um, Skull Gang right. um, squad, mm-hmm. so he was really trying to put his team on, because he came from, uh, you know, the Dipset shit, where it was like they did group shit, then they all broke off and did their thing, so he was trying to make it a group effort first, um, opposed to putting out his stuff, so, you know, that first year, it was like a lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of lessons learned, um, but we definitely, you know, got a chance to work and do some records together. Um, like back to the crib, mixing up the medicine, wow, wow. yo, and all this stuff, and um, those are still great records, by the way. Yeah. Oh man, like, and it was like, did you make? He, that? By the way, he was one of my favorite rappers. Yeah, yeah. to this day, like yeah. we still, whenever I see him, it's love. Like he's incredible. You well, know how did how did back to the crib happen? Did you so did, relationship with Polo and Chubby? Yep, we mm-hmm. went down to Atlanta, and we went to Polo, and Polo played it. Like Esther Dean did the hook originally, and ha- did you know Chris? Chris was um, cool with him and Joel's already had a relationship. Mm-hmm. So more so was like just telling him we should do Chris. <laughs> and he like, of course, we should do Chris. And but the oh, right. fun- they had done Run It by that point, right? Yeah, he did oh, Run yeah, It. Yeah, they were already yeah. friends. They were like tight. Yeah. And, you know, because um, Chris lived in Harlem for a long time. Yeah, right? Right. He was developing as an artist or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the crazy story about this is, so this is us putting Chris on the record three months after the Rihanna thing. Yeah. Right? So he's in Orlando in the compound, like where like nobody, no media, no nothing. He right. just is down there. There's like letting him regroup and get all the stuff together. So Joel gets him on the phone. He like come down to Orlando. <laughs> so we all jump on the flight. We go to Orlando, and Chris had a relationship with Esther Dean. So he's like, "Oh yeah, I knocked this out right now." He went straight in the booth and knocked it out. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" Like, <laughs> you know, that's questionable term, by the way. Knock that knock out. Knock that out. Yeah. <laughs> so he he um he did the hook. Um, Joel's laced the verses when we got back to New York. Then we went to um, play it for Def Jam. And um, before we played it, Joel's gave like a speech to LA, like, listen, you know, I know there's stuff going on with, you know, just like, you know, really try to like <laughs> give him a little game on why he did it. He, like, I just want you to respect my vision. He heard the record and LA was like, okay, I'm going I'm to, you know, really take take what you said and like you know think about it because mm-hmm. it was like a big deal rihanna's the biggest selling artist on def jam yeah, right? yeah. so it's not just the easiest thing for la just be like go ahead we're gonna promote <laughs> a Jewel's chris brown record right, right after yeah. you just you know all the stuff went down with rihanna um so we we got a call like three days later and karen kwok was like you got to take him off the record oh. or we can't work it here 
and Joel's was just like he he understood, but it went from getting him motivated and he excited he has a hit record. And he kind of he kind of was like, nah, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. We're gonna put this out, you know. So he kind of bucked against the system. And me, I'm lower level A and R, so I don't, I can't move the building. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know if a person is working one of our records. They could tell me they was working a record. They impacted. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't know nothing. Um, so we move forward anyway. See, basically, which is like L A, man, please, you know, like play, you know, pleaded to him to let him just do this, and I guess L A agreed, but L A never worked the record. So me, Andrew Wells, like at the time, he, I, I feel like he didn't know the business side like that either right so they're telling us they're working a record and nothing's happening with the record so we're right. like damn this ain't a hit you know what <laughs> i'm saying and people in the streets like yo that record is fire you know what i'm saying so they gave us money to shoot a video and we shot the video and it just wasn't being worked man and Joel's went just went back into the a, a shell like well, that's when you I'm feed not, it to best of both offices it, yeah and give it to the, yeah. i didn't know nobody yeah. i didn't have no relations with new york like that i was out the first time me coming to new york was getting this job so I didn't have no relationships. I didn't know nothing. I was coming here. I was staying in a hotel or being in a studio because I really didn't have no relationships like right, that. Right. Yeah. So where do you go from there? So. Joel's gets it, down. Joel's doesn't turn in the album and I get fired from Def Jam. Fired because you didn't turn in the album. Wow. Yeah. And that's like. Thanks, Joel's. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Joel's. <laughs> Thank you. No, nah, so, Joel's. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. Shout so, out yeah, Joel's. So. So. Well, did Joel's ever give you any like bandanas? <laughs> nah, Joel's is always cool, man. Joel's looked out for me, man. He was like, he was a great person, man. I can't, I can't say nothing negative about the guy. Still one of my favorite rappers. Just a good all around dude. Great family, man. Him and Twin, man. They mm-hmm. they showed me a lot about that side of life too. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Just being in the business and being able to hold down your family. Like they want, they super serious about family. So, uh, by the way, we're definitely trying to get Joel's on the podcast. Yeah, and yeah. we've been in touch with Twin, and we're, yeah. we're gonna make that happen. So you've, you're, you're twenty something. Yep, 24. Uh, you're 24. 24. You're it's no crazy. longer allowed at 825 Worldwide Plaza. That's like a sick feeling. Like, you're, like, on top. You're, you're flying from New York every other week, from Atlanta, you know. And it's like, you're in New York. You're in Def Jam. You got Jay-Z posters on. You're like, ooh, I'm part of, like, the real fabric of, like, the hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the shit. And now you're, like, back in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, what regular guy. Did you Did you tell your parents right away? Yeah, I told everybody. I was I was devastated, bro. Yeah. I told everybody. Where, and where do you go from there? What do you do? So Did you start working at TCBY, um, <laughs> I, doing I, frozen yogurt. I definitely was like, listen, I I know I, I know I'm good at this. Like I knew in my heart I was good, you know. And and I was like, I, I'm gonna stick with it. So I would stay in the studio with all the producers that I had relations with. I let them know what was going on. And they all let me be around, and I just stay connected to like like certain people that had the heat, you know. So Ethiopia, mm-hmm. um, shout out Ethiopia, I love you. You're you're the shit. Um, used to be, um, she was the head of um Universal Music Publishing, and yeah. she was the publisher for Chase and Cash, Hit Boy, all these people. Now mm-hmm. she's at Motown. Um, yeah, she's mm-hmm. at Motown. So um, she's still at Universal too. She runs both companies. Mm-hmm. So. She used to always see me around, and she she knew I was intern. She knew everything about me. She was like, "Yo, do you have a job?" I'm like, "No." Nah. She's like, "Okay, you're always around. Um, just come meet with me in L.A." So I'm like, "Are you like, what's up?" <laughs> she was like, "Well, whenever you're in L.A., just stop by the office." So I just flew out. Like I got like I'm down to like my last probably fifteen hundred dollars. So 
I shoot out to L.A. Angelo Sanders lets me, you know, sleep at the house in, like, the basement and shit. So I go meet with Ethiopia. She's like, do you want to do publishing? Because I felt like you are more like, I'm like, y'all just want to get back in the game. I just want to get my foot back in here. She's like, cool. All right. So she really liked me. She's like, all right, I'm going to introduce you to my boss. So... I had a meeting with the boss, right? Then I flew back to Atlanta. Then his boss wanted to meet me. So I had a, they're not flying me out. So I'm going back to LA on my own dime. Just and like, you're just like watching grinding. your bank account. Yeah, just oh, like, just dwindled. Yeah. Just yeah. Not, nothing. Not getting haircuts or nothing. Um, so I went and met with their boss. We had a meeting. And he was like, okay, cool. I want, I want to hire you. So I'm like, great. So I go back to Atlanta. And I'm waiting for the offer to come in, and it's crickets. I can't get Ethiopia on the phone, nobody. So she calls me two weeks later, like, we gave the position to somebody in L.A. because we didn't want to relocate. They didn't want to relocate you. Oh. So I'm crushed, like, oh, man, like, I'm striking out again, you know? And I was mad at Ethiopia, like, damn, how you do me like this, you know what I'm saying? And I went to, like, a little depression, man, to be honest. I was, like, sad, like, yeah. every day, like, kind of moping. Then, um... Ethiopia like a month later Ethiopia called me she said I got something for you I'm like what's up she said um, I want you to meet Joey IE he's um, wow. rebuilding Urban at Warner Brothers yeah. and I want you to sit down with him when he comes to Atlanta and um, Joey flies to Atlanta I go meet him at the St. Regis first time meeting Joey IE <laughs> super poker face yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go and sit down with him he interviews me for like 30 minutes over lunch he was like, all right, nice to meet you. <laughs> so I leave the bitch. She's like, what you doing? I'm like, man, that nigga don't like me. <laughs> I'm like, I ain't going to get that job. Man, a week later, Joey calls me. and was like, yo, I want you to come meet Todd Moskowitz in L.A. I'm about to fly you out. Boom, boom. I go to L.A., nervous as shit, not ready to strike out again. And Todd comes in the meeting. He was like, I don't know nothing about you. Apparently, Joey likes you. <laughs> um, so I, I guess you're hired. <laughs> so <laughs> so, we, talk so like, yeah. <laughs> we talk for a little bit more. And um, I go back. This is like at the end of that year. So this is like around November again and stuff. So then they call me. They're like, we're going to hire you. You're going to start in January. And um, we're going to have you live in L.A. for a month. Um, in corporate housing so you can learn the ropes of the company and that was me getting hired at Warner Brothers okay who's on Warner Brothers at the time that you start working there oh man it was like nobody there for real you had Kirko Bangs right yep I want to say Currency was there mm-hmm. yep and Gucci Man was in jail mm-hmm um but his single was out but a single might have been out. I'm not Gucci it, time. It, it it was nothing going on that year. It was 2011, right at this time. Because right. I was at Def Jam 2009, 2010. I had no job, and I started back in the industry 2011. Right. And the first day on the job, I'm in Joey's office, and this is when Ross started doing the vlogs. <laughs> so we're on the internet. I'm like, Yo, Ross killing it with these vlogs. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, and you know, Joey like shows some interest. He's like, yeah, I've been, you know, trying to chop it up with him or something. It's like a quick brief, like, just about Ross. So, first thing I do, I call Gucci Poochie. Yo, Pooch, what up? <laughs> he like, you talking? I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to him right now. Like, he doesn't know how tight. Like, you know, you could go in the meeting and say, I know all these people. Yeah, and he, yeah. You know, in the music, everybody says that. So, I'm on the phone with Poochie. They first. <laughs> Rick, what's up, little bro? <laughs> like, Pooch, man. Where Ross at? Like, he right here. I said, yo, tell Ross that I just got this job at Warner Brothers and we should bring May back over here. There's nothing over here. Let's do it. Hold on. Let me get let me get roast. Go get Ross. Ross get on the phone. He's like, who 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 you over there? I'm like, Joey I am at Warner Bros. He's like, Y'all come to my show Saturday in Toronto. Click. 
So I'm like, Joe, he said we could go to Toronto on Saturday. <laughs> he like, for real? He like, <laughs> like, like that fast? It was like Thursday. You know what I'm saying? So me and Joey flew to Toronto. Boom, we fly to Toronto, man. And um, we in the lobby of the hotel, and Ross walks in, and he sees me like, you know, like, yo, Joey, this is my guy. This is my guy. One of those guys. This is my guy. You know what I'm saying? And um, that was like the first start of nego- negotiations for Maybag music. Did you have any idea of what the label would look like? No. So I definitely was taking a chance because I knew Ross's worth ethic. Mm-hmm. And I know that he always had an ear, and he was like dope. You know, it was like one of my favorite rappers, too. But he was still at a stage of career. People were like, if he makes a whack album, it's over. You know, like the same bullshit sure, sure. industry shit. Yeah. If he does something, like this might not be a good idea. So we still went through that. You know what I'm saying? But um, I definitely knew that Ross was up to something. And I, I believed in He believed in me, and I believed in him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was the original, like, blueprint for MMG, like, in terms of? It was just Wale. Just Wale. He had Wale. And that was it. And he, but he was making moves. You know what I'm saying? Because you know he still had gunplay. All the people like so triple C's, triple C's. He just had like all like he was always connected to people. So it was like he was talking about stuff he wanted to do in the meeting. Mm -hmm. But um, nobody knew it was going to take off like this. Listen, 2017. Everyone looks at it like ah, a lot of wins right there. Yeah. But back then, yeah. Wale got dropped from Interscope. Yeah. Meek Mill is unheard of unheard to of. most people from just outside of Philly. Right? Um, no one, no one knew about Pill. Nobody knew about Pill. And, and a, Ross was not Ross like we know him today. Yeah. So this is before Rich Forever. So people in the in the building uh, probably might not be supportive of, the, of this, right? They're not. It's like fifty fifty from everybody outside of like Joey and Todd. So how'd you sell them on the vision? I didn't care. <laughs> I really did it, man, because I know one thing about this music business. Everybody not going to support your vision, and you got to stick to your guns, and you got to fall on your sword in this game. How did you convince both parties that this was going to be it? Um, so I, was, I knew that if I got, one, if I got to, had to work with a whack artist, I was going to get fired out this year. So I, was just, I, I wanted Ross to be part. I knew whatever Ross was going to be a part of, we was going to be successful. And Joey was on the same mission with that. Like, Joey always was believed, of course, because he was, like, in it with me. And Todd was down. Todd is one of those people, man, if you're passionate about something, he's going to let you rock. And that's one thing I always love about Todd. He's never going to – if you're passionate, he's not going to keep, like, asking you questions or debating with you. He's going to be like, okay, all right, let's do it. So – and this is when Leor still was running Warner Music Group, too. So it was just, like, a good time, man, like, to, for this to happen. How did you end up finding, like, Meek? How did you end up finding Pill? How did you end up... So, Pill was already on the label. Mm-hmm. And Meek was already, like, in negotiations with Ross. So, it was more so just, like, letting the building know, like, no, this kid is dope. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. like, really just making sure that everything goes through and pushing everybody. Because Wale was the first artist that came off the right. label. So, Meek was still not a big deal until after we dropped this first self-made project. Yeah, well, all right. So, talk about Tupac back. Yes. And talk about I'm a Boss. So, self made was the first project that we did um when we did the deal so ross comes in does a big presentation everybody comes in and we we play the music so these records are already pretty much done before um they even came into the building so he comes in and he played i'm a boss was probably out like two months by then but it was like low level like type out and um he wanted to go with tupac back first so tupac back was the first record we went out with right um we did um what is it? Pa- um, pandemonium. 
we did Pandemonium was one of the first records and Tupac back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and Wale had the record with Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. So um those were like the first set of records we went out with, man. And we dropped that song, and the shit just exploded, bro. Like, it was the fastest, like, shit I've ever seen. Like, just, like, going from, like, just being cool in the game to, like, the hot new niggas, like, so fast. Yeah. Wait, where was BMF at this point? That yeah, had, BMF that was, yeah, BMF was out already, like, because Ross had, because um, he had the mixtape. That mixtape came out probably, like, a year before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was when I was out the game, because I was like, ooh, Ross, <laughs> all this stuff, and, you know. So it was like a year. So it was after BMF, before Rich Forever. And uh, what did Spiff TV play any part of this yeah, process? Spiff, so Spiff was a big part of um, the MMG shit, man. Like especially with Ross, because he was like more so like Ross's A and R, you know. So he was with Ross everywhere he went. So he was responsible for BMF and MC Hammer because he found Lex Luger, or yeah. he was like the first one to get Lex Luger beats. Right. Yeah. So Spiff always been incredible with like finding beats and shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, I more so played a role in all the artists on MMG. Right. So for that first project, it was basically Ross, Meek, uh, Pill, and and Wale. Yes. Then not long after, Pill left. Yeah. W- what happened? I mean, honestly, man, I feel like Pill. Um, it's hard to say. You know, like it, it just he wasn't connecting, and I guess. His relationships with everybody wasn't the greatest, and it's just a certain level of professionalism you got to have in this business to be successful. So it, I, it just didn't work out. And, f- and but it wasn't my decision. I was too low on the totem pole at that time to like make a decision like that. So it was more and so. In terms happened. of like how you're going to split up your um, your time. Well, it was easy at the time because we all had the focus. Like, the first, we were pushing Wale first. So, Meek was just doing his shit in Philly, just making, you know, whatever he would do, making records, just doing what he's doing and shows. He was getting shows now. Um, so, he was just getting his bag up. So, we, me and Wale went to Atlanta, and we started working on Ambition. And we did that at um, the same studio where I used to be at with Hit Boy and Chase and Polo. We got Polo's room, and we did Ambition in that room. Crazy. And this is three months of every day together, like working out together, yeah. going eating lunch and dinner together with the crew. Like we was together every day. Pause. Like it was just too crazy. Well, what do you, you know? like? Became Wale. Yeah, you had to because like when you know I w- I wanted to be I I couldn't fly. If you messed this one up on yeah. MMG, it, Joey, Todd, Ross, and my you out of here, bro. We gave you a real chance. Yeah, and so we was together every day, man. And how that how that ambition record come about with oh, Meek and Ross that that was me <laughs> that was me um so T-minus yep did the beat so I was getting beats from like all like boy one was my favorite producer and T-minus all of so T-minus gave me a batch of beats and I remember playing that shit for Wale and he said ooh that's hard <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying and this is um so he was like he just said, they going to love me for my aunt. I remember saying that. He just went in the booth, and he started knocking that out. You know what I'm saying? So this is my first. <laughs> this is our first record. Like, we doing together was Ambition. So yeah. I'm like, ooh, this is going to be great. <laughs> like, this is how we starting off. <laughs> then I remember... Uh, I remember being like, uh, he like, who should with Meek on this joint? We send Meek send us the worst. Like, we like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> oh my god, yo, that shit was amazing, man. That, that history was so crazy, man. How do you decide who who gets first, who gets last, who's in the middle? As yeah. far as um, what? placement on the oh, record. Oh, um, I mean, how me how me came in on that song? We, you had to put me first, and it was kind of like. Wale, we wanted to have different stuff because Wale was obviously on every song, so we wanted to have like 
other rappers kind of start off with songs to make the whole album sound like super just dope. You just don't want to hear while they come in on every song first. Right, you know? right. So it's more so that kind of thing. Hey guys, we just want to take a second out to bring you a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of Wasted Time is brought to you by the new Spotify original podcast, Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty. Hosted by Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack, co-founder of the Loudspeakers Network, Mogul tells the story of the music executive who changed hip-hop and shaped the careers of some of its most beloved artists like LL Cool J, Missy Elliott, 50 Cent, Nas, Diddy, and so many more. With one of the most illustrious careers in music, Chris Lighty rose to the pinnacle of musical success before an untimely end. This story is more than just music, it's the story of the American dream. Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty is a Spotify original podcast produced by Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network. Follow and listen to Mogul every week exclusively on Spotify. And by the way, Jeff, uh, I have listened to every episode of this and I think, and this is not because we're Loudspeakers Network, this is not because we know Combat Jack, I just want to say... This is done so extremely well. Like, to the point, we had a meeting with Leor Cohen last week, and in the meeting we were talking to him about it, and he said that he hasn't had a chance to listen to the first four episodes yet because it's, you know, it hits very close to home. We listened to part of the Warren G episode. With Leor. With Leor, the Rice Pilaf episode, and... He was so taken by it. So that's somebody who knew the story, and we got to listen to the story with him, and it was pretty exceptional. Honestly, go check out Mogul. It's on Spotify right now. Four episodes so far. Uh, Another one comes out this week. It's gripping. It's amazing. It's sad to think what could have been, but an amazing story regardless. Mogul is up right now on Spotify. Shout out to everyone over there. And now, back to our podcast with Dallas Martin. We were hanging out last night. Yeah. And you told us about Lotus Flower Bomb and yes. how, like, working that at radio. Yeah. And that's an amazing story, so you have to tell it now. <laughs> so, basically, we got, like, a lot of street heat going from the self-made project. So, Wale's in the street, um, all these records out, and they're like, yo, Wale's trying to change his his um, his um sound for MMG's trying to be. I'm like, yo, we got to make something for the ladies, you know what I'm saying? And Wale, like, we used to have mad chicks in our sessions, like, so we always was on the same tip. I mean, so, this is down in Atlanta. It's down in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. the, I was a promoter. Yeah, and promoter, I'm an NR, MMG. Coming through. So this is lit now. Yeah. We're talking about every day is like a real like situation. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, man, he had... Um, he had like this dude. We, we we had the beat, and one of his like writers that there every day. He like kind of like pinned the um the hook, and we had it for like a month. Then we kept revisiting. Like yo, that shit sound like something. And he's like, yeah, something like Wale because he's very smart with the music. Like that nigga's incredible when it comes to like making records. I learned a lot from Wale mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so he did the verses, and he's like, who should we put on here? He was like, Miguel. Miguel was on fire yeah. around this time, so we reached out to Miguel. We kind of he on fire for us. So he kind of curving us because we're not proven yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So finally, we get him on there. So Miguel, we send it to him. Right? Miguel sends us the shit back different from the way it is. It don't sound as good. So we like, damn, why he change it? So we sitting there like, damn. So we like pressing the gun and turning in the album. And I'm like, Wale, man, Wale, he's stressing. Like we talking, like he like, bro, this shit don't sound like a hit no more, man. 
And I'm like, man, it don't sound as good. So he's like, fuck that. I'm about to run up on this show. Like, he in a show in Atlanta tomorrow. Like, fuck it. So he goes to the show, and he's like, Miguel, please, man, you got to do this shit how we did it. Like, please believe in me, bro. Like, we got it the right way. So Miguel comes to the studio the next day yo, and does the hook again the way we, um, the way the dude wrote it. Sam yeah. Dude wrote the hook. Yeah, yeah. So Sam Dude, we're all in the studio, and... He does it. We're like, yes. Like, we knew it was a hit. You know what I'm saying? And um, we sat there, me, Wale, his engineer, K. Diddy, and we had to edit it because it's like it's like two parts. That first part of the song was the bridge. So we edited it. I pushed that shit up to the beginning so it could be, like, a different part. Then we, like, changed the shit around. So we edited it, and we got it right. And um, we turned the album in. We like, yo, this is the single. And Joey's like, this ain't gonna work at radio. This is too slow. You know what I'm saying? It was slow, so it ain't it ain't on Joey. I was like, yeah, but it's gonna work, man. He's like, nah, you gotta speed that shit up. We like speed it up. So he like what? So he like, yeah, you gotta go up. Like we had to go up on like five or six BPMs or something. He like, oh man, like so. Wale's like, nah, you can't do that. I sound like a chipmunk now. <laughs> so he like, nah, that's how it's. This is what we doing. <laughs> so we speed it up. And it didn't take too much away from the song, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But as an artist, you feel it. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the general public would never know. And that shit, ex- I think that shit went to number one in, like, two weeks, man. And we was, like, super on fire, I man. Bet. Then um, we like, Joe, we told you, so let us put the regular <laughs> version on the album. And we got to put the regular version on the song on the album. Yo, how much are you afraid of getting caught up in the studio after listening to something for three months and being You're like, it sounds great to me. And yeah. then you play it for someone with fresh ears and they're like, no, this isn't it. Um, I play Lotus Flower Bomb for girls. I play bad for people, and they were like, so I never get caught up in. They were like, whatever. They were like, well, I played it for girl. I was so hype. I'm in my my uh, living room <laughs> in the crib. I'm like, yo, y'all want to hear Wally single? You hype? You know what I'm saying? It's your first project, your yeah. first single. And I played it. The girl like, that's all right. <laughs> I'm like, for real? You know, you know, I'm feeling in your heart. Like, no, this is a hit. She like, it's cool. Like, what else y'all got? Like, did I'm you like, tell her to get oh, out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, do you, well, hmm. do you test them out too? Do you go to the clubs with the records and be and try? Nah, you never really go that far with it. Yeah, but yeah. You do you doing more internal stuff with your friends and like people that you trust their ear and stuff, and you play it for people that just like are super just into music like you. How much? How much did that that record sell? Man, like first week? it's definitely, I don't know what it did first week, but I know it's a platinum record yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I know it was the record that changed both of our lives because we went from, like, while they being on the fence to being a star to turning them into a star. Crazy. For sure. Crazy. And you now know? you're solidified at this yeah. point. Yeah. While he does 167 first week after he did 32,000 total on his last album. So, shout out to Interscope. Shout, <laughs> shout out to, to Lady Gaga. Hey, Lady Gaga. <laughs> um... <laughs> Does Miguel fuck with the song, the new version? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. just making sure. Yeah. It was a hit. He's like, oh, you yeah. guys, yeah, it was my idea. <laughs> so then so then, so then, then it's Meek's turn. It's Meek's turn. So Dream Chasers 2. So listen, so Meek was like, yo, I want to record in L.A. I'm like, yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so this is like, um, <laughs> so this is 2012, the beginning of 2012. So he's like, yo, but I got to stay in some fly shit. So I'm like combing the city for like corporate housing <laughs> that has like so I finally found this apartment complex that does corporate housing had this penthouse I'm like yo you like this drink he's like hell yeah Meek like hell yeah so Meek already got the goes and everything he ships his cars also Meek is on fire because that whole year he was doing shows yeah, yeah. yeah. so Meek is rich now you Listen, know what I'm saying without, Tupac back and without, I'm a yeah, boss I'm a boss he was going crazy the whole
whole year. So he come out the whole feel like his Philly crew is main people, <laughs> like the five people that would him talk. Kuhn, O'Melly. Yeah. Like, so. They ship out the, the, the yeah, four-wheelers the, and all that? Man, <laughs> they, yo, Meek, man, one thing about him, man, he can adapt to any city and make it feel like it's his, man. So his um, boy was K. Smith, Will Smith's nephew. And yeah. Will Smith owned Boom Boom Room in L.A., the studio. So we set up there. And we literally partied <laughs> every day in the studio and made records. And I never seen nobody that could make an album with 50 people in a room <laughs> drinking and smoking. And just and he just in the corner. And I never seen nobody like he like rapping just like in the corner. Like me used to rap to the wall. Damn. Like. Like by himself in the corner, like he was like when you know you'd be like yo go in timeout. <laughs> that was me like in the timeout, just writing records like in the wall. That was so crazy. I remember he used to do that all the time. He used to write the craziest shit, bro. And what's we, the difference in terms of like recording times? Like yeah, it, who records quick? Like who who thinks of ideas quicker? Um, of the of of anybody. They're both. Energy? They're they're. I, I got I got spoiled because they both are super they just work at different times like Wale would start at noon and finish at midnight while um, Meek would start at midnight and end at noon <laughs> you know yeah. so you never sleep yeah, yeah. so I'd be like what the fuck bro so this is a totally different recording situation for you a whole different cause now I'm a night person and I'm going to the office at like 1pm like, also do you have to figure out like his psyche now yeah, to like understand who Meek is yeah because Wale is the type of person he wants the producers to come in we might make something from scratch mm-hmm. and like put something together and he like he's a big about like which producers and like kind of ambition we had DJ Toop just come every day oh, to be a part of like the the vibe and help us he was teaching us how to make records like for real all the way you know not yeah. saying he did legendary of course mm-hmm. but it was like he was like he believed in us like and he always believed in me too so he knew me for like I was intern so he was like he just loved our energy and he just loved being a part of something fresh and new yeah so he taught us a lot just about like the cohesiveness he's and criminally us, yeah. unused yeah like, he's so underused under, he's like one of the most underrated producers of all time shout out DJ Toon you're yeah. my boy bro yeah. you're the shit so LA LA but Meek's like a beat just give me a hot beat and right. I'm gonna do the rest and you just had a Meek Mike like you gotta have a hundred beats ready to go every session, cause Meek Meek is like the pickiest beat person hmm. I've ever met in my life. Uh, next one, next one, <laughs> next. Okay, I like that one. And he'll do he do a verse. Next one, ne- you know what I'm saying? So Are there any there that he passed day. on that uh, that became something for somebody else? Yep. Like he, um, Mike Will gave me the beat for the uh, Two Chains Drake stuff. Um, was the Drake? no lie, no, no lie. I had no lie. Meek passed it up. Meek. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And Meek could be the first one. Give me some hits, bro. Give me some <laughs> what are the hits. Nigga, he be fresh. Meek, Meek ain't playing with you in the studio. Man, play me that shit, bro. Playing. Um, I remember I interviewed him one time, and he's. I asked him something about like uh, you know, yelling, you know, and he was like, I. He's like, I don't yell too much. Is that nobody else yells enough, hmm. or something uh-huh. like that? And I was like, that's a really good quote. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And my thing too, I just like. It's like DMX to me. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he just, he's passionate. Like, you feel one thing about Meek, you feel his music. Like, you connect to it. And he speaks from that voice that people don't get heard. You know what I'm saying? So, he's speaking for all the have-nots, bro. And you know what I'm saying? People that really came from nothing. Like, when you go visit where Meek's from and see how they came up and live and just, like, his family and his friends, like, they came up some real circumstances. Like, niggas was really doing shit, was in the streets in a young age, just trying to survive and, you know, being like the man of his house is like, father was you know what i'm saying killed like it's a lot of stuff that he had to go through you know so that's just like the passion in them you know and when does the building really get behind meek 
Well, the building he was already on fire with I'm a boss was lit. So yeah, now yeah. I was like, don't fuck this one up. So, so <laughs> we came off the pressure while they did. It's like, no, I'm lit. They like, nah, you fuck this one up. You out of here too. <laughs> so we in the joint, man. And um, I remember uh, I was giving him good beats. I was delivering. But he, um, Key Wayne, he was on Key Wayne before me because Big Sean, he liked some Big Sean. He's like, who's that producer? Yeah. And Key Wayne sent us the Amen beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So it was just like a church joint. It was no drums. So like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So we like, yo, this shit hard. Ain't no drums, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, the drums, like, they on point. So Jalil Beats came in. He was like, ooh, that shit hard. So Jalil <laughs> put the drums on it, like, the way Meek like him. And Meek was like, hell yeah, that's <laughs> it right there. So this nigga, we playing, though. So, yeah. it's a, you know, we had a part. It's a lot of bad bitches in the building. And Jeremiah amen. was in there. He like, amen. Because <laughs> Jeremiah wrote some of that with him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So... He like went in the booth. He like it's a lot of bad bitches in the building. Amen. And it was like, yo, that's just so hard. And he kept going. Then we was like, yo. So he ended up doing like the hook and the verse. And we like, yo, that shit fire. And Drake was really fucking with Meek at the time and mm-hmm. shit. So he's like, yo, Drake. He was like, they were Facetiming. Like they was cool as fuck. Right. And um, he like, yo. He was like, I'm about to send you something, nigga. Let me know if you fuck with it. Drake like, hell yeah, this shit hard. I'm about to jump on this joint. Yeah. And Drake sent that verse. He like, oh, we got a massive hit, bro. Huge. So this is around the time, like, before streaming and stuff. So we had to do a mixtape because, you know, you feel like you have to do the mixtape to get hot right. gear for the album. Right, right. But Dream Chase 2, man, we would have just made that the album, bro. We had, like, Burn on this one. Oh, yeah. Yep. We had Amen. We had, uh, we had Travis Scott for the first time ever. Yep. We had, like, Kendrick Lamar <laughs> for the first time. Before I mean, people knew who he was. I mean, so like, and that went on uh, like Dad Piff and just did like yeah. platinum numbers. Like yeah. it was like crazy. Yeah, for sure. Man. So then, so then when it comes time to do the album, so listen, so check this out. Check where we going going through this, right? So we dropped that in May on Meek's birthday, Dream Chasers Two. Happy birthday, yeah. 2012. Yeah. yeah, he goes on tour with Drake. Lear Cohen calls me in the office with Todd and all them. Well, he's on speaker. Todd calls me, leaves on. Yo, I need my album by September. I'm like, yo, he's about to. Like, by the way, we just did. We just gave you all our gems. Yeah, yeah right. like there's no time <laughs> like, to record. Meek's going on tour, and I'm like, it's, it's no way it's gonna happen. He's like, no, you have to deliver an album by September because they were trying to make some numbers for the quarter or something. Right. And I'm like. Todd is like going in on me like you better deliver this fucking album you know what I'm saying or August they needed it by August I'm like it's no way he's going on tour from May to like the end of July he's like you better figure that shit out so I'm like were you like ready to start rapping so I came up with the idea I was like all right, we gonna get him a um, a, a tour bus with a studio in it yeah 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 so we do the research and shit so we get him this expensive ass bus (laughs) with the um, studio in it right yeah and this nigga's on the road. He's doing road shit. He's doing shows, doing the after party. Yep. He's tired. And he's not recording on the bus. So we pay all this money. And this nigga don't record. Then you see like Instagram or whatever. And it's like all the other niggas rapping on the tour. You're like, damn, this shit is going to be fucked up. So they like, I spent all this money. Bro, I was like, why the fuck would you spend all that? I'm like, yo, I had to turn it. So I'm like getting killed at all sides and shit. So then me gets on tour and shit. And he comes to the He's like, all right, I mean, it's not going to be ready. <laughs> like, it ain't like, I'm not rushing for y'all. Oh. So um, so then we still was kind of under pressure. So me and me went to Miami, and we had to, like, kind of rush um, the first album, man, Dreams and Nightmares, because we had to, like, crunch it. Because we put it out in, in, um, on Halloween still. Yeah. So we had to make it from, like, I want to say the end of July. Like we, So we got to work on August and September. 
and it wasn't enough time for us to make a great, great album. We still had dope records on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I was like, for the time span we had, I think we made an incredible drink, but we came off so much heat off of DC2, and that took some time to make. It took us like, yeah. you know, some, like five months to make that album. So, that intro. That intro. Like, we were at the listening party, which was at... Um, it was at the Electric... Um, electric Lady. Ladyland. Yeah. Right? And... There were a lot of people there. Uh, yeah. Jay was there. Yes. Will, Will Smith, Smith was there. Yeah. Um, Angie. Angie was hosting it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people in the building. And yeah. that record played and everyone knew that yeah. it was like something special. Yeah. All these years later, it's become like a staple at every New York yeah. party. It was the best intro ever it. in hip hop history. And I remember we went to Summer Jam one year and Meek was not on the bill, but he showed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he stood on one of the speakers, and this is like for uh, MetLife Stadium. Yep. You know, not right like there. the and and he just did the intro, and the place fucking blew up. Yeah. That intro is unbelievable. Did you know when he was recording it that it could be something this big? Yes. So first, so first, the first part of the intro, we were at Ross's house in Miami, and it's when he first got it, and he and he said, "Be bullied, just gave me his joint. It's gonna be the intro." And he rapped the first part. And he was like, it wasn't no, um, hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought yeah. I was finishing on there. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, but I'm going to have, it was hit all him. I'm going to have Beat Bully make a different part to the joint and I'm going to keep going. So we like, all right, that's dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know. So then we start recording. We recorded the album in the Satai Hotel in Miami. Spend hella money, wreck the place. We can't even go back there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're in the Satai and Beat Bully finishes the beat and sends it in. And we like, ooh, this be hard. <laughs> so this nigga Meek like finishes like like the first part all the way. Then he was like, hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I, we was like, oh my. <laughs> when I got the estimate, he just got a, y'all thought it was rented. Yo, so we like, yo, so niggas in the studio fall out like, yo, <laughs> this shit is cr-. Like definitely, we knew yeah. how crazy that was going to be. We're like, man, that shit is so fire, bro. Like we left that session like, man, that nigga just made, we were part of something special yeah. in there that night, man. Yeah. Where was the first time you, you saw him perform it out? Um, I might have been at that. Summer Jam? Summer Jam. Man. Because that was like in yeah, probably like was, late May or something. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, so I want to talk about... Go ahead. Because it still wasn't the record we was pushing, so yeah. it kind of started bubbling. Yeah. Right? And it just became a staple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the intro to his follow-up, which must have been DC3. DC3. I was back working on Wale's next album, The mm. Gifted. So he did... The, we were in um, L.A., in Atlanta working on the gifted and it was a mixtape so yeah I kind of was like yo go ahead and knock that out so I, I can't really speak for DC3 like that because it was a mixtape thing and right I was back on working on Wale shit I mean I I don't know if you ever heard the record but I do remember <laughs> I that he no no not not like not, not the mixtape I'm saying I went to a listening mm-hmm. and the record had the the mixtape had not been put out yet okay and he was debating on how to open the the mixtape there was he had a record. He had an intro record, and he was going to go with everybody mm-hmm. in the same way that, like, I guess it was after Kendrick's record, okay, um, with or Big Sean rather, and but he never <clears throat> put it out, okay. And I was wondering if you had talked him out of it, or if anybody had talked him out of it. Nah, that was all his decisions on DC Three, man. DC Three was kind of a thing where I would just send him beats, and I was somewhere else working, and he was just like, because we we was like a mixtape. We weren't. It was no pressure on that one, you right. know. Um, it wasn't no pressure until after DC3 was just like, eh. <laughs> and niggas was like, 
y'all can't fuck this up. This right. is this is this is the real deal over here. Yeah. And that's when that dreams worth more than money was like that that took a lot out of everybody, bro. Yeah. You got like I'm talking about imagine doing an album where Puff comes in the room, gives you a lecture. <laughs> Herb Gotti comes in the room, gives you a lecture. lecture. Nicki Minaj comes in there like, what's going on? And you be like, oh, man, like this is like a lot. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Because yeah. he was still like, people knew how good he was. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, we um we didn't come through um with Dreams and Nightmares. We didn't deliver how we should have. So people were like, yo, y'all can't fuck this up because he's, he's really somebody and you can't fuck this up. So again, your job's on the line. I remember too uh, when Dreams and Nightmares dropped, that was Hurricane Sandy too. Yeah, he caught a whole bunch so of weird just, things yeah, happening. Like yeah. the, day, the whole East Coast was out so people couldn't buy the music. Yeah. They couldn't go to the store. A whole bunch of stuff hit at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. and he still did over 100. Joey leaves. Joey goes to Def Jam. Yeah, so... Joey leaves before DC3, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, basically, 2011, we had much incredible success. Then I want to say, damn, did Joey leave after the second year? I, no, yeah. He, like, he leaves after the first year. So, two, after two, we have a lot of success. He leaves. He's like, oh, I'm out. I'm like, because, <laughs> you know, I'm just coming off. I'm like, damn, everybody that I start working with, they dip on me. You know what I'm yeah, saying? So, yeah. Joey's out. So, I... I'm tighter than with Joey than Todd. Like, I don't really talk to Todd as much as I talk to Joey at this point. So I'm like, damn, what does it mean for me? Todd invites me to the house. And he's like, yo, I got you. Like, we're going to rock out next year. You know what I'm saying? He gives me a promotion. He doubles my salary. Because I was making some bullshit money. Yeah. He doubles my salary. Puts, like, gives me a real contract. I didn't even have a contract at, at Warner Brothers at the wow. time. It was just like a base salary type thing. And you, we fire you, we yeah. fire you. Yeah. yeah. So he gives me a contract, my first contract puts me in the six figures for the first time in my life and uh he really changed my life man like for real for real and he gave me opportunity i moved into joey's office and during that whole year he like treated me like joey (laughs) not with the same like you know level of um status but like he was training me he was like yo like putting me in real position to like really succeed with his company and uh talk about what sherry bryant uh meant to your professional life sherry bryant is my my favorite person in the music business um by the way, me and Sherry worked at Def Jam together. Yeah. So when I was there that year, she that was Joelle's one of, project. Yeah, we yeah. were one. Of, she was one of the people that still. She knew Joelle. She was from Harlem. Yeah. So yeah. she was like, "Don't worry, it's not you." Like she <laughs> always like motivated me. Then she was like even one of the per- people that vouched for me because she was at Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and she told Joey like, "No, nah, he's dope. You should you should get him." So I mean, I heard about that later, but she definitely vouched for me, and that's probably one of the reasons I got that job as well. And um. You know, she didn't have a relationship where she never worked a Ross project. So that was my relationship. But then she came in and she like fully, like you know, just held it down because she's the shit. And they they were called they called her baby gangster. <laughs> um, you know, and um, she was just a marketing guru, man. Like she was just on point. She's um assertive, and she just always been like a big reason why I could say this is a hit. Is this a hit, Dallas? Yep. Okay. And she'd go in the building when I'm not there and just cause a firestorm. So you work on the gifted. Yes. And that whole record is full of excellent music. Yeah. Including eighty eight. Yes, just blaze. Just session. blaze. How did that happen? <laughs> Wale, you, I'm gonna tell this story because you you the funniest and I love you so <laughs> um so we get the Tone P did the original beat. It's like a sample in it. This shit is cool. I'm like, um, 
I'm, we listen to him. I'm like, yo, this shit hard. He like, yeah, but I want to add something to it. I'm like, who? He like, man, maybe Just Blaze and shit. So I'll call Just Blaze. You know what I'm saying? Like, Just, man, can we get in with you? Whatever. We go to his studio. It's like in um, Harlem. Yeah, well, at there. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah at the yeah. time. And, um, you know, I'm, we the biggest Just Blaze fans. Like, we're like super Just Blaze fans. So Just Blaze is like, all right, send me the stems. I'm going to fuck with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so one week go past. No record. Two weeks go past. No record. Three weeks go past. No record. So I'm like, Judge, you gonna give it? He like, yeah, I got you, man. Like, you know, he's so cool and calm. Yeah. I got. When is the album turn? Yo, I got you, <laughs> man. So a month go past. He's sending the record, right? I'm like, oh, this shit is crazy. But Wale was so mad that he took so long, nigga. <laughs> he man, fuck this shit, man. This thing how I wanted it. He ain't listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I like those like the temper tantrum, not really about the song, just about he felt like you trying to play him because right. he took so long. So I'm like, Wale, this shit is amazing. No, we about to go over there and we gonna tell him that this he gonna change it. I'm like, I'm not going over there. So me and him start arguing in the studio. Why you ain't right? I'm like, bro, this shit dope. No, this shit ain't dope. You don't know what you're talking about. So we in there arguing and shit. That shit was so funny, man. What happens and how do you find out that? Uh, Warner Brothers is going to merge with Atlantic in terms of the rosters. Yeah, that was a crazy day. So you're living in LA. I'm living in LA now because situated. I'm relocated. <laughs> I'm I'm there now because like when um, Joey left, Todd moved me to LA, relocated me, paid for the relocation. Like he just well, like really God, was like you're you about to be here. Couldn't afford <laughs> shit. Yeah, so. yeah I, was still, I mean, I was still off the base salary. I yeah, just yeah. got promoted yeah, and yeah. got some real money, so I really didn't have like he took care of everything. Yeah. So I'm out there. I still don't have a car. You know what I'm saying? How are you I'm, getting around? Um, a rental. They oh, gave yeah. me a rental, but I don't have like I'm still before I even have yeah. my own car. Yeah. 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 What were you driving? What um, kind of rental? I, I I talked the lady at the rental place to give me that charger. Oh, <laughs> oh great. So still American made. Yeah. yeah, yeah Big engine. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, man. So we went through 2012 Meek's album. Me and Todd built a strong relationship, man. And he said, uh, he called me, man. It was like uh, the first week of December. Oh right. And he's like, yo. Um, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm like, what you mean? He said, I'm out. Uh, um, I got, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a take care of you with your bonus and stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm out, man. You know, you did a good job this year, but I gotta, I'm gonna go with Leo. We're going to do something. And I was just like, damn, okay, man. Like, I understand and shit. He was like, but make sure like when the merger happens, you go over to Atlantic with Julian. So I was just like, okay. So me at the time, I was just frustrated. Like, damn, now Joey, now Ty. Like, can I catch a break, man? Like, I can't get in with nobody and just be, like, straight. So um, then I was just kind of, like, in a space where I was like, where should I go, man? Like, should I stay at Warner? And they, and they were like, well, we're merging all the artists and the staff to Atlantic. But the people at Warner are like, well, you know you could stay still. You know what I'm saying? But they don't know nothing about the music, the culture. And they're like, but we only want to sign R&B over here. And I'm like... <laughs> what you mean like how do you just like, only sign r&b so um and it was crazy because right before ty left a month before that he signs ovo yeah so now we got drake so it was like yo dude, like the warner was like the spot yeah you know, you know what i'm saying there's not too many things going on shit is moving because everybody is like cohesive want to mm-hmm. see each other win we had like a really a tight-knit family type thing um and it was crazy because it was like just it just it seemed like we were just like about to be the biggest label man you know what i'm saying like k michelle was signed we just like did like we was doing a lot of dope and we were breaking artists yeah Yeah. which was like hard to do at the time because music wasn't still selling like that and um i remember like julie calling me like yo i want to meet with you and craig's gonna come on to see you and craig came in sold me on the atlantic situation and 
And I was like, all right, cool. I'm rocking out with y'all. Well, I mean, what was your relationship with them before? I didn't have one. Never no. met them. And so that first phone call, you were just like, never met. I, I know who she was. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, you see her name yeah. like in bold and yep. like a Billboard article. Yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, but all, your, had a all your artists were coming over here. I mean, we were all still part of like they didn't really know what was going on. It still was like nobody was putting out an album that that, that first two months, so it was just kind of like nobody really knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, so do you retain all of your artists when you come over to Atlantic? Yes. Yeah, I retain all of them. And who did you pick up? Um, nobody. I had all of them. Then I, I signed. I had K. Michelle, and um, it was like more so of a situation like where they were like, K. Michelle, what, what is this? And they're like, and they're like so we ha- I had K. Michelle come up here and meet with the staff, and they end up liking her because I feel like there was like we're not because they were gonna drop some of the acts coming over from Warner, and of course keeping all the hot acts. Yeah, and um, they were like, okay, cool. Like we get it, and we ca- they kept K Michelle, and I did K Michelle's first two projects and stuff. So mm-hmm. did you become her the same way that you became Wale and Meek? <laughs> no, you have to learn. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yo, I, there was video of her like a couple weeks ago running around this office naked, like, I mean, naked topless. Naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's her. That's K Michelle. So, yeah, okay, Michelle. <laughs> You know what's a great record, by the way? Uh, the record that she had, it was Ross featuring her, and they put it out as the single. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great record. Like, yeah. I know I know it didn't, like, move as much as it should have. Yeah. Great record, though. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was I think Timberland produced that, too. Oh, did he? And Ross sent me, like, I'm going to put your girl on. I'm going to you some. You know, Ross, <laughs> good I'm like, back. It's I'm good, like, good look. I need this. Um, <laughs> what changed, like, culturally between, uh, between Warner Brothers and Atlantic for you? It became like a situation where we were the, they were the only artists and like um, all our artists were spoiled at Warner Brothers because they got so much attention from all the departments because it was not a lot of artists. So you got to understand like anytime some going, you're going to have PR there. Mark, like everybody was there. So you go into a situation now where you're at a bigger in there. It's like a lot of artists here. So um, it went from everybody just like micromanaged with attention to like. You know, you're you're a part of a big like pond of people now, so it's like everybody is not gonna get the attention that they always received. And I, I feel like our artists was so spoiled, they like that shook them. Like, damn, what's up? Like, why everybody not at my show? <laughs> or like, and it just became a situation where we all had to like realize like we're part of a bigger system. Yeah. Um. How does it feel like also like working with people? Like, you started with uh, Wale and Meek in more like humble beginnings. Yeah. How does it change, like, when they become, like, you know... Diva status? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, man. If you got a good relationship with them, like, with your artists, and you work hard, they're going to fuck with you. But, of course, like, every artist, as they grow, they demand more, and they want more. They want more attention, more money, more success, and it just comes with it, man. You know, they're they're assholes sometimes, they're, and they're nice people sometimes, but, you know, they're, they're artists because they're passionate, and they're crazy, you know what I'm saying? They're geniuses and crazy, it's a thin line. Right. So, you're going to get the genius, cool side, you're going to get the fucking crazy, go crazy on your side. Well, so. you certainly got the crazy side. <laughs> I got I got all the crazy ones, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> We asked Sherry one time, we're just like, do you have to be like uh, like a psychologist? She's like, yes. every day. Yep. How did that How did that Post to Be record come about? Oh, man, Post to Be was dope because... That's a big record. <laughs> so Marion at the time was like, you know, we was coming off the MIA record and all that stuff. So people was like, like on the fence, like, okay, are we going to believe in this new transition and stuff? So um, I had a good relationship with Mustard because... The studio we recorded at in L.A. was the same studio that Mustard recorded. So he would come over to Meek Session all the time. And he was just always a cool, humble dude, just nice man. And um, 
I remember like um, saying like, "Yo, we gotta get in. I want you to get in." Oh, so like the first two sessions, he had canceled. So I was like, "Oh shit! Like this look bad." You know what I'm saying? Like I want old thing. Like he he might just been busy or whatever. Yeah. So like the third time, I'm like, "Yo, like bro, like don't cancel this one." He's like, "No, I'm gonna be there. No, we at Winmar. I got you. I got you." So Owen over there and shit. And I called Sam Hook, and I think Amaya um, bought one of his writers, and it was the first beat muster play. Damn. And I was like, yeah, you know, oh, that, that's the way, you know, well, oh, big, you know what I'm saying? So, oh, was like, yeah. So, oh, went in there and, um, you know, him and his mans, they wrote, they wrote the post to be, um, him and Sam Hook and, um, it's one other writer. Um, I forgot his name. Um, and they did, they did the hook and, um, they did the first part. So then he was like, we got to get Chris on this. And I was like, that's going to be hard right now, right? Because Chris is like, it's just hard to get Chris on stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because he just be he just a part of so much stuff. It's just hard to get the clearances. So he has a relationship with Chris, of course, because they came up together. So we hit Chris, and he called me like, Chris going to do it tonight. Meet us at Record Plant. So we go to Record Plant, and Chris like, ooh, this hard. So Chris <laughs> knock out his verse and shit. And um, then um, Taz is Omarion's manager. She manages mm. Janae Aiko. Huh. So she's like, yo, D, I want to put Janae on this shit. I was like, bet. <laughs> like, that's cool. Let's do it. So then she sends me the verse, and she said, I'm going to eat the booty like groceries. I said, damn, Janae said that? So I'm sitting in there with the, like, the, like damn, is that going to work? Like, eat the booty like groceries? Like, and meanwhile. And meanwhile. Yeah. That's, that's, the that's like the, the biggest well, yeah, part of the, the song. Biggest, totally. Yeah. So. I was on the fence to be like, yo, she might have to change that part because I don't know if, well, how people are going to receive Janae Aiko. Yeah. She's like not like what people see her now. Like she's a little more risky in yeah, terms yeah, of like yeah, yeah. You know, or a personality. This is like early like good right. girl. Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't even think she talks like this Janae. So she does that shit. We like, oh, man. So then it gets put, put together and we knew right then. It was like, oh, that's a hit. So yeah. then we brought it to Atlantic and Omarion is like you know like they got so many artists it's like he's kind of being overlooked a little bit overlooked and, uh, yeah oh yeah. overlooked Over- <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I remember playing the record and it was just like a okay cool <laughs> like y'all could put that out like it wasn't no like you're about to kill the game with this shit and I remember um why is every Chris Brown record you work like sort of just, just like <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> exactly man so uh Julia Jones calls one day she's the head of um promo shout out Julia mm-hmm. Jones yeah. one of the biggest um you know part of my career too outside of Sherry she's like definitely been super um important to my role here and their offices were next to each other yep yeah and she's like yo this song is like they're reacting like um pds are calling me it's like because we're not working it like that it's just kind of like out there we mm-hmm. serviced it but it's not like being it's not an impact date or nothing yeah yeah yeah. and i don't even think we have all the clearances yet you know what i'm saying because <laughs> um so then um we um they're like yo so we had to pay for the record muster you know he wants his check yeah yeah He's like the hottest producer, like this year, like it's that year. Check. He's like it's like a real check. Um, so we pay mustard, and that shit goes impacts, and that shit just went like fucking wildfire. That's man. a big plaque right there. Yeah, I love that plaque. That's three times platinum. Yeah. Um, where's the craziest place you've ever seen Omarion dance? Because he um, dances everywhere. Yo, Omarion, the craziest place I've seen Omarion dance. Damn, where was we at? I, I feel like I have a good one. Cause he dances everywhere. Yeah. Like I mean, you catch a Marion dancing anywhere, but like 
Omarion is a cool dude, man. Like people are like he's like one of the coolest, smoothest dudes like ever, man. You know what I'm saying? But he, he just he just wanted on he's he's a dance machine. I feel like last night you mentioned something about Janae Aiko. The first time you met her. Well yeah, so when I so when I was at Warner Brothers after we did the Maybach deal, it was it was still like it was before it took off. So and it was a big deal, like in terms of like money spent and Warner Brothers. We still had to prove like that deal was worth it. So, but I had a relationship with Two Chains mm-hmm. at the time, and I really was trying to get shout two- out to Tech by the way. I was yeah, I was trying to get Two Chains, man. And I remember I had a relationship with Shaka Zulu, mm-hmm. and I knew that their relationship was deteriorating. So I was like, Yo, Shaka, like, can we figure out a way? And Shaka was like, Yeah, we can work it out. Like basically, so I was talking to Two Chains every day. Like Two Chains was being real cool, man. He like really was um down. He was. Coming around doing records with us and shit because it was part of a lot of the earlier projects I was part of. Two chains yeah. would come through, give us a verse, and um, it was somebody I was really trying to um sign, man, and I, it just didn't happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, Janae Iko was one of the people that came to my office at Warner Brothers that it didn't work out. Unfortunately, she brought her daughter because <laughs> um, at the time she was being managed by the promoters that was doing all the hot parties, <laughs> and I was at all the parties. So they're like, "Yo, we got this." artist her name's Jan. she's dope you let me bring her through i'm like yo so i'm trying to get it but they're like slow down bro you got like you just did that and like do that first then you can do that then oh, i want a future because yo. rocco shakir signed rocco to def jam right and i was around rocco every day when he was making an album right and future was used to be in the studio every day so when he first did the um tony montana shit i went to atlanta i'm like yo rocco Let's do this deal, man. He like, I need X amount of dollars. Like it was like a crazy number. Yeah. And um I was like, bro, like, I don't know if I could get that, but like <laughs> let's try to figure it out. And um he was like, Well just tell Joey to come down here, man. And Joey was like real busy that week and he couldn't get down Damn. there. And then it the, the, it just evaporated. But yeah. I, I was on it like every those day like three artists. Yeah. Yeah. It was like and we, those are ones like I was really like I like really went back and forth with them, like, yo, let me do this, let me yeah. do this. It wasn't a like passive, like, oh, like at that point, I I had confidence. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, "Yo, I got to do. <laughs> let me do this." And they're like, "Yo, slow down." <laughs> um, where were you the night that Meek uh, sent off all those tweets? Oh yeah, that that was a uh, that was a crazy night. So he was on tour. So I literally just left the tour because um, I was back in L.A. and stuff, and like. I was like, man, we on so much fire. I'm about to take the rest of the year off. Be <laughs> 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 like number one, two weeks in a row on the Billboard one. Yeah, and, and he's like, I like, we got three more singles on here. That's about to be. We I only have to work no more this year. I was about to just tell Julie like, you're right. working from home yeah. for the rest of the year, man. <laughs> and she like, I don't give a fuck, just do it. Like she, that, that was such a good grace at that time with that because that album was like just performing crazy. Um, but yeah, man, I got a call from one of my homies like, yo. You see what Meek talking about? I'm like, what you talking about? Like, go to Twitter right now. So I go there. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a long summer. Did you wait? But did you think because my first thought was like, there's no way that that's him really tweeting. I was like, he got hacked. He definitely got hacked. And then like, I thought he did too. He said, I'm not hacked. hacked. (laughs) (laughs) I said, no. (laughs) Well, like, damn. Why can't this be a hack situation? I'm like, damn. Do we really need to go to war with Drake this summer? (laughs) The thing that really, really, really sucked about that is that that Rico record was so good. Still went platinum. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're right. It's a great, great record. Didn't even you didn't shoot a video for it. Like, didn't like. Man, we had that record. The weekend record was gonna be the next record after that. Oh my god. He had joints on there. Um, so future record. Yeah. That uh, jump out the face. Yeah, he was on fire. That I mean that 
that uh that changed your whole summer up huh yeah switched it up yeah. say the least um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean after that with him it was just like a you know it was just like a lot of us understanding how powerful the internet was because you know at the time like you know what you gotta understand around this time like when mika's in the streets going around people ain't saying the stuff they sell on the internet so he, he not he he's not even feeling like what the internet is like really talking about like he's like he's going around he's still getting the same love i mean of course we saw the sales slow up but i mean it wasn't like a place where he was just like damn like nobody's talking to me no more like he's still going around people showing him love whatever but then he goes to jail Right. Right. So he's locked up. Right. So he it's really like just a point where everything's just on hold now. There was just a lot of stuff at the same time. The Drake thing, the jail thing. Yeah. He was dating, you know, the biggest female. I mean, that happened when that he was after, in jail. After, yeah. So when he was oh, in right. jail, they like got closer. Right. And they start I guess they started like, you know, just like communicating more. And when he got out of jail, I think that's when it got real. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's it, but that's a lot. And that's yeah. a lot of change mm-hmm. and then does a label try to push music from him? Do, do you, are you looking to create more? Yeah, like, how close are you in all of this? Because, like, you know, there's a lot of things happening within, like, his world. Man, I'm, like, he's, like, um, kind of, like, one of the artists I'm closest to, like, um, that I work with. Because, you know, like, his friends are, like, my friends now. You know what I'm saying? So, it's, like, we're just always communicating. So, um, it was just, like, a thing, like, when he, like... When he got out of jail, I just wanted to make sure, like, I was there to make music with him or just, like, be part of help him, like, get back on his feet. You know what I'm saying? Because I know he wanted to record as soon as he got out. Yeah. Because he was real focused in um, jail. You know, when I talked to him in jail, he'd be like, yeah, when I get out, I want to do stuff like this. And he was, like, really just focused on, like, just making hot music again. That Meek and Nicki record went platinum, right? Yes. I mean, that's a that's a big record, too. And yes. it still gets played. Yeah. Um. Was there any, I mean, was that was that a natural thing that they did? Was that something that you were like, hey, you guys should record together? Well, he got a batch of records from Khaled, like, w- way early in the process to record. I'm talking about, like, probably, like, 10 months before we finished the album. You know what I'm saying? And Nicki always liked that record. It was just like a, a Casey Cossum joint. It was like, the hook was a little bit different. And um, Nicki was, like, always telling him, like, I like this record the best. So he was, she was like, I'm going to jump on that joint. So he's like, all right. So she jumped on it. Then um, we had to get someone on the hook. Chris Brown. <laughs> we got to get Chris Brown again. So Chris Brown kind of changed the hook because the hook wasn't as good as it is now. Like yeah. So he made tweaks in the um in the hook. Oh, he Miguel it. Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> Miguel it. Is that in the right way? Yeah, yeah. And um, we knew we knew like it was a hit, man. So after that, it was just like it was on to the races. And we had a dope, you know, plan for his release. And they got to premiere the song on the BET stage for the awards. Yep. First time seeing them, you know, perform together and like really, you know, show their relationship. So it was dope. What don't people understand about what A&Rs do? Um, I think people just think it's like, oh, you just got to find a beat or it's like they don't understand like the relationships you got to the like all the politics that goes into like putting hit records together. Um, they have to understand like how much time you have to spend in the studio and the office because, you know, like a lot of times in the office, you know, I might be chilling all day working hard and I might go to studio and I'm drinking and smoking and like with the artists and doing playing beats. And, and if a girl or whoever comes to you in the state, like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> He'd be like, yo, I just spent the whole day and all this, I'm unwinding like right now, but I'm still working, you know, right. and they don't understand. It's just like they they think like just by knowing a song is hot, 
that they could be A&Rs, but they don't understand, like, you have to win the respect of producers and writers for them to give you music. They're not just like, oh, you're an A&R? Here goes my catalog of hot stuff <laughs> and go shop it all over the industry. They know they have to, like, really fuck with you. You can't get people or beats or all that stuff unless the artists or the producers or the writers fuck with you. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't get people on the features unless they have a relationship with you. You got to know their managers and all that stuff because even if you're tight with the artist and the manager don't like you, you're not going to get the feature. And they're going to be like, you're not doing that for him. I'll fuck with him. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, you have to know so many people, be so many, so cool and elusive with everybody, and you know, on good terms and do good business. As soon as you do some fuck, fuck shit, yeah. and it gets talked about, you're done. They're not gonna give you nothing. How did it come to be that Wale was gonna executive produce, or it still is gonna executive produce, uh, self made for? Um, well, Wale is like really um, the most like him and Ross, as far as like putting records together. Like they have like a real like skill at like. You know, like putting the features and like where to put that artist or like Wale, like he's really underrated as a writer and as a producer, because if people really let Wale like really like blueprint their shit, he could really kill some shit. Like, but I think people, um, you know, like Wale has a stigma of being an asshole a little bit. And I guess like it kind of rubs some people the wrong way. But he's so like Wale, so passionate about it. He goes to the studio every day of his life. Like I'd be like, yo, go on a vacation. Like <laughs> he would literally, if he went on vacation, would find a studio. Yeah. Like I'd be like, bro, how'd you find end up in the studio yeah. in motherfucking Turks and Caicos? <laughs> You'd be like, nah, I had to work. I was, I had an idea. <laughs> he loves the music more than anybody I know. When Jay Z gave that quote and he was like, what three rappers are going to be around in like twenty years? And it was uh, Cole. I think it was Drake. And it was Wale. And mm-hmm. people were surprised about him picking Wale. Yeah. But he said that he was the most passionate, the most driven, the most... Yes. Um, was that evident, like, from the get-go? Yeah, like, um, that's what I'm saying. That when I say I learned a lot of stuff about um, music through Wale, is like, I he taught me how to push myself to the highest level to get the, the you know what I'm saying, the most out of me. Because it's like, for you to be, like, rich, famous, and work as hard as he does like he literally lives breathes like the music like he like he's like a real genius to me like for real and that's why he's crazy (laughs) because it's really a thin line for a show because that nigga knows how to make some fucking music and even with this album even though the cellular he still made a great album yeah and it's gonna be records that end up popping and might take that shit to another level the people are like okay it just might be a slow grind but he made some incredible music and for you to be on your fifth album, people don't understand, like, to go re- recreate yourself and do different music and different sounds, and it's hard, like, you know what I'm saying? The first two albums, yeah, the five, six, yeah. and you're still recreating, like, you know, evolving as an artist, like, that's hard, man. It's not a lot of artists that get this far. Yeah. So I don't be understand why he don't be getting the respect of somebody alone, like, yo, you did five albums? That's crazy, like, and you're still here standing, and you're still young. Yeah. Can you just talk about how... You know, certain A&Rs will, will um, work with talent that they've been given, and other A&Rs are more like, you know, finding talent. I mean, I feel like, you know, you got you got two different kinds of A&Rs. You got the A&Rs that really don't sign stuff, that know how to make dope albums. You got the A&Rs that sign shit that don't know how to make albums. You know what I'm saying? And you got some A&Rs that know how to do both. And I really feel like I, I, I showed I could do both. And it's not that many A&Rs I really know that could do both. And 
you know, I, I feel like, you know, personally, I don't be getting the record um, recognition I deserve. But that push that five put fires under me drives me because it's like, bro, I did a lot of stuff. People be acting like, oh, well, he had Ross, Ross wasn't in the studio with us. He had he's an artist, too. So he wasn't in the studio every day making records with us or doing all that stuff or putting these songs or building these relationships or even with like K. Michelle. Nobody wanted to sign K. Michelle. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's not like they're like, well, what else? You, I'm not done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not exiting the game at 50. Like, I'm 32, and no, I'm about I mean, to. You made it to our podcast, and that's it. Like, yeah, you know, really, what what the else is there ever, to do? Really. Talk about Ross's estate down in Georgia. It's beautiful, man. It's incredible, <laughs> man. It makes you, makes you really realize, if you stay focused, humble, and hungry, the rewards that you could receive from that. You know what I'm saying? Because that house is so fucking retarded. It's like the biggest pool, like home pool in America, like in yeah. the world or some shit. Like that's just like Olympic size. <laughs> like we had a pool party there. Like you couldn't even talk to the person on the other side. You had to like, you know, get on a cell. Like, yo. Yeah, you it really like, you know, makes you feel small. Yeah, <laughs> you're for sure. You've played basketball in, in, in the indoor court? I might have shot a shot. I ain't have a full <laughs> game. It's so much shit. Bowling. It's like the bowling alley. The bowling alley. You got movie theater. Like, all kinds of stuff in there man. you can't even look at find like your way around that house <laughs> did you see a meek's video like he has like a stack of like newspapers from like the f- 1930s and 20s and stuff that cost like ten thousand. Like he uh, has like original dickens novels yeah like, like it's 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 so amazing yeah like yeah. uh but, everything well, he has well jeff's favorite thing for a while was watching ross on snapchat while he was while on, he was on house, house arrest, arrest. Yeah. like I'm, I'm sorry he was on house arrest but like it was the best just watching him explore his, his yeah, that was his Miami house, but yeah. it was it was the best. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I sort of wish that he just wouldn't leave his house. Man. <laughs> it's so me got horses on there. You got Yeah. I mean, oh well, yeah, now he like loves guy, horses. This guy is crazy. <laughs> I don't know how he can ride he has a so horse. So much taste, man, like good taste, yeah. man. Like it's like he he has great taste, man. Shouts to Chef D, his personal chef. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so everybody. We just got the Wale album. Yes. Uh we got three new Meek songs from Meek's birthday weekend. Yep. Which, by the way, you flew down uh, to attend, and I had to be there. No, but but your <laughs> luggage should have been there too. <laughs> luggage got lost, and I still I still was happy, man. Um, <laughs> shout out Meek Mill. Who else do we have to look forward to uh, from your roster? Um, well, this year, um, of course, we're doing, we're going to do a Meek album. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be um, this summer, and we're going to announce the signing. Of somebody really special from the West Coast. Um, oh, we're so, not from the West Coast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> somebody special that um, his album's gonna drop this year, and and it, that's it's, that's it's, been it's, a long time coming. Yes, <laughs> it's been a long, but it, I honestly, feel like this dude made a classic album. And by the way, two of matter. us. By yeah. the way, but. <laughs> Uh, people who have been on this podcast have talked about this signing before. This yeah. is this is a long time coming. Yeah. Is this really gonna happen? It's done. It's okay. Be, I can show you the text message right now. <laughs> I get, he's, he's yes. This he, makes for a good podcast it's, material. It's, it's, it's get, Let me it's show get, you. It's, this get, text. it's getting mixed right now. <laughs> look, look. This is the last. This is the last text I got, and this was yesterday at one fifty one a.m. What did it say at the bottom? Almost done. Hey, Almost the mixes. Done. The mixes. So, so the, is this gonna be under? Just Atlantic. Atlantic. Yeah. Okay. It's, and it's official. It's official. Okay. Yeah. And I'm excited about this. Great album. It's like a classic for sure. I'm a, I'm a, I don't say stuff as a classic before it come out, but I got to live with the music for a while <laughs> at yeah. this point. Wait, did you play it for that girl who was just like, eh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Nah, she's she not even my friend is no Chris more. Is on this project? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we love so, Chris Okay, we, we got that. Um, Who else? 
Just me and him, man. Because while they came out in my new artist, L.A. from Atlanta, I dropped his um his project in um oh yeah in March yeah yeah. Um, but it, it's, he's on it's spelled E L H A E right. Yep, yep. And he's a dope R and B artist that I'm super excited about. He has a project called Or Two on Apple Music, Spotify. Check it out if you have time. It's really great. Um, some super cool R and B music. And he's on tour right now with Black Bear. Yeah, he's dope, man. I think I think this is gonna be the year that he breaks for sure. Um, and now you're doing R and B just like. Uh, just like you could have been doing at Warner. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Dallas, you're a uh, you're a guy who made it from very humble beginnings up in uh, in Flint, Michigan. You lost some people, whether in the physical or like you know to other jobs. Yeah. You have so many plaques up on the wall right now. Uh, you have a hell of a career, and you're just just getting started. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're from Flint. You got a lot of drive for somebody from, uh, from Motor City like that. Right? Man, definitely. See man. that? Yeah. yeah. See that? Yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> a lot of drive for the Motor City. <laughs> hey. But congratulations on everything. We're really excited about everything that's coming out, and uh, and we'll be we'll be talking. Yo, appreciate you guys. You guys are the shit. Definitely um, been studying you guys for a while, and I'm just excited about how much you guys have grown. And I'm glad I get to see you guys in the building every time I'm here. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, every time. Just <laughs> <laughs> to actual parties, actual Atlanta parties. <laughs> Yo, thanks so much. All right, for sure. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us, It's The Real, more about our podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real, more about what we're up to on a daily basis, where can they go? You can always go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. You can also go to soundcloud.com slash it's the real for all of our music. You can go to iTunes, search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We are also on there for our new album, Teddy Bear Fresh. You can search for It's The Real Teddy Bear Fresh. We are on Instagram at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Twitter at It's The Real, in, uh, Snapchat at It's It's The Real, and It's The Real Eric because It's The Real was taken. We are also just around. Come find us. Shout out to all the loyal listeners who have been listening since day one, since that Alchemist episode. We're 119 episodes in and still going strong. Thank you guys sincerely for listening. Please keep spreading the word. We like to spread the word about this podcast to all of our friends. Jeff, do you have a friend you would like to tell? I want to tell my friend Sean Wynn, who is, he just graduated from college. Congratulations. He just started uh, a job, or will be starting a job at WMA in LA. Oh, shout out to all of our friends at William Morris, the finest agency in the land. And also, he is best known to me for dressing up in a bunny suit, a pink bunny suit, and searching for Easter eggs. Is that something that his new bosses at WME know about? Well, I sure hope so, and or I hope not. Shout out to Sean Wynn. Sean Wynn. All he do is win. <laughs> I would like to shout out A.O. Vante. Oh, who, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Twitter, who has been uh, regularly putting our lyrics up on Twitter and spreading the word about our new album, Teddy Bear Fresh, which drops. May 26th. I saw A.O. Vante in a Raven B. Verona Instagram is, live. Is that right? Yeah, well, last night. Then he's really made it. Yeah. Shout out well, to no, he, wasn't, he wasn't there. He was, he was, oh, <laughs> in the, he was in the chat. <laughs> Shout out to A.O. Vante. We appreciate the love. We appreciate everyone going to iTunes right now and hitting that pre-order because we're going to put up some numbers and we want to surprise everyone. Guys, the single is Waco. It's out there right now. YouTube.com slash It's The Real. Press play. Leave a comment. Tell people about it. Go to Sound cloud and press play go to spotify and sign up am i missing anything you are missing nothing i'm (laughs) 
Now for real, for real. Sure, sure. We will see you guys next week. Brunch! Support for A Waste of Time comes from the new Spotify original podcast, Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty. Produced by Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network, Mogul details the illustrious hip-hop career of Chris Lighty and his rise to success before an unfortunate and untimely end. This is a story that's bigger than music. It's the story of the American dream. Follow and listen to Mogul, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty every week on Spotify.